the white folks hate the black folks, and the black folks hate the white folks. To hate all but the right folks is an old established rule. But during National Brotherhood Week, National Brotherhood Week, Lena Horn and Sheriff Clark are dancing cheek to cheek. It's fun to eulogize the people you despise as long as you don't let them in your school. Poor folks hate the rich folks, and the rich folks hate the poor folks. All of my folks hate all of your folks. It's American as apple pie. But during National Brotherhood Week, National Brotherhood Week, New Yorkers love the Puerto Ricans 'cause it's very chic. Step up and shake the hand of someone you can't stand. You can tolerate him if you try. Protestants hate the Catholics, and the Catholics hate the Protestants, and the Hindus hate the Muslims, and everybody hates the Jews. But oh, you're National Brotherhood Week, National Brotherhood Week, it's national. Everyone smile at one anotherhood week. Be nice to people who are inferior to you. It's only for a week, so have no fear. Be grateful that it doesn't last all year. Well, we ought to play Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas. I got it here. I got about 75 different copies of it, but it would be much easier if you got it. Well, let me boot up They're my dancing program. in the streets of Hialeah and Sweetwater, baby, and Little Havana. They're dancing in the streets without Martha or the Vandellas, or the Vandals. To hell with Fidel, and I'd sure like to know what the that's all going to change. Anything going to change, like, no. anytime soon? Uh, no. No. Then that Raul, you know, he's 75. There we go, Martha and the Vandellas. For all our friends in Hialeah, both of them, and Little Havana and South Beach. And Sweetwater, too. See, you screwed it all up. I, I did a beautiful talk on I'm sorry. Bastard. Anyway, here's George's poll from uh, yesterday. Who gets the most preferential treatment? 715 votes, and you were right. You, they said uh, it was pretty tight, though. Mm -hmm. I voted for celebrities, and celebrities won. 218. Except for Mel Gibson, by the way. <laughs> Not just an anti-Semite, but a crazy person. You look like I do. Crazy person. The apple doesn't fall far <laughs> from uh, his ass, I'll tell you that. No. I think it fell right in the middle of his crack. Wrecked him. Him and Daddy. At any rate, we'll get back to that. But the passion of the Christ that made him about $100 million, it's a damn good thing for him because he ain't going to be getting too much work anytime soon. In fact... Where's that story? I got it way down in my pile because, quite frankly, there's so many other much more important things going on than freaking Mel Gibson. There are. Well, not really. <laughs> I mean, what could be more important than that? I can't even find it. Oh, here it is. Uh, ABC said the note of the miniseries. Oh, come on now. Yeah, here it is. ABC pulls Mel Gibson Holocaust miniseries. Not because of his uh, anti-Semitic comments and his tirade when he was arrested for his DUI, <laughs> but uh, because they said there's no script. Yep, it's been two years and the network still hasn't seen a script for this uh, miniseries, so they said bye-bye, Mel. Adios. Apocalypto was supposed to start uh, December 8th. Oh, no, that, no that, that's a different thing. That is his movie. He self-financed it, just like The Passion of the Christ. Manion language movie, Apocalypto. What, what is Manion language? Oh, Mayan, I think it's supposed to be. Oh, Mayan. Oh, I'm reading it wrong. You're right. Mayan. What did I call it? Manion? Manion. Manion, yeah. That's Good on sandwiches. Mayan language movie, Apocalypto. Not urine. Mayan. No, no urine in it. Although I'm a little bit pissed off that uh, I read that wrong. Uh, December 8th, Apocalypto is coming out, and uh, Disney is going to put it out. And, of course, Disney's owned by ABC or the other way around, Disney. so it goes to show. They don't care. If they can make some money from it, they'll put it out. 
Just like all this Fidel business, you know? Oh. Who gets the most preferential treatment? Celebrities 218. Hot chicks 188. Rich people 164. Politicians 91. And then there's a big drop-off after that. Cops right. only 29. The boss's girlfriend 12. Anybody you have in mind? No, not at all. Gangsters 9. And the boss's family, Solamente 4. Only 4 out of 715. 715? Oh, look at that. They're dancing in the streets of South Florida. I mean, you know what really gets me is that all these punks, you see all these kids? Oh, yeah. There isn't, there isn't one of these people that has knows Fidel <laughs> Castro from your fat ass, okay? None, not, none of them, or their own ass. That, that's what really cracks me up. All these punks dancing. The They're having a blog party. We're having a party <laughs> over here. Yeah, as our late friend used to say. Party. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Big party time. God, just crazy, crazy, all these ethnocentric people, man. That's all they know from. All of them. I like you that name word. It. I'm going to write that word group. down. No matter what it is, pick the group. Pick I'm going to use that. Is that all right? Susan Candiani, she's back uh, home in South Florida. Look at that. She's expelling. I kicked in any plan, but they've had one in place for years. For example, Where the hell if is there she? should be a permanent change in power... Whenever Fidel Somewhere Castro dies, you. for an example, the Coast Guard not, will sure. actively add to its, um, its ships at sea to what? watch for a possible exodus of Cuban exiles heading to Miami and vice versa. But why would they be going to Miami? Listen, all you old green toots, here's your chance, baby. There Any second, if Fidel croaks, get on those rubber rafts, man. There, look at that. There's all the boats. Look at that. Boy, am I psychic or what? There's all the little boats that are going around in circles. Hey, don't let that guy with the red speedo in that song, Will It Go Around in Circles? South Florida. Thank By you. Billy, uh, was it Billy Preston today? Yes, that? it was. Wow. I'm sharp as a marble today, man. Anyway, we'll get to Fidel. We'll get to all, all of this important stuff and save the world from itself. Not. There you go. Will It Go Around in Circles? Told you. Yes, it will. Will it? Trust me. That don't look like a circle. Jerk. <laughs> 890 votes, 89 WLS in Chicago. Anyway, 890. We're going to make that 1,000 maybe. I mean, we're going to be over 1,000 possibly by 11 o'clock. Wouldn't that be a feather in my cap or what? That'd be something. By the way, we had an 8-point oh. share. We're number one, and we're pretty proud of it. And thank you so much. Couldn't have done it without our great audience out there. How the hell we did that in the midst of all these smarmy numbers on this radio station? Oh, my God. And and, and Jim Sarney, I don't care what your buddy the Humper says. Okay, I know Hank is loyal to all his uh, racetrack buddies. Jim Sarney, what did I always tell him when we used to do the crossover about Sarney? An old mm. toad. Remember that? That's what I've been told. Mm. Never met the guy, but from this picture in the Sun Sentinel, I think he put in there. My God, he makes me feel like Brad Pitt. Good golly. Plus, it looks like he's smelling like he farted real bad, and it's like uh, he can't get this, or somebody else farted bad. And he can't get the aroma out of his face. got that same constipated expression on his face. He writes, Boog and Zaslow are radio's dynamic duo. This is uh, one of his columns this past, last week. I'm not going to waste my time with all of it. And then he does, as an afterthought, WQM rules the air. They crush 790 the ticket, but a beep, but a boop, but a bop. We'll get to that in a minute. But he starts out. Boog and Zaslow are radio's dynamic duo. Johnny Carson at Ed McMahon, Seinfeld at George Costanza, and in South Florida, Boog has Zaslow. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Boog Shambi Show, that's his producer on 790 The Ticket. Shambi steers the ship with first mate Zaslow at his side, screening the callers and adding his thoughts with a dash of humor. Boog encourages me to chime in, said Zaslow25, who joined the ticket. At, uh, and by the way, the juice is all done. He's out. He left. And uh, what's his name? Sid the Rosencrantz, Bergstein, the Schwartz. Uh, he's uh, he's going to do middays alone until uh, he bails, goes back to New York if he gets that job. So they're going to they're just going to sign off in midday and still probably get the same number, you know. 
They got a 1.1 in midday. Here's here's a one a guy that's doing a one share from one to four in the afternoon, and he's part of Radio's dynamic duo. I mean, I got news for you, Sarney. You're such an idiot. I bet you the people at the Sun Sentinel when they when they see your column and they just pee all over themselves or each other. It's just unbelievable. It, it's it's incredible. Zaslo has his limits of loyalty though to the booster. It says when Shambi suggested he get Boogalicious shaved into his head, Zaslo said no. Yeah, maybe you could get Boogalicious uh, tattooed on your Rectum. ass. Speaking of tattooed, you know, A and E. Remember how many times I've talked about A and E and the fact that they got a lot of shows on there I like. Right. They also have a lot of shows on. I don't understand that network. What are they thinking about? Have you ever seen that show Inked? Yeah, we watch it. You watch it? I have watched it. About tattoos? About the tattoo parlor, yeah. Ah! They got chicks in there getting their asses tattooed. Oh, I see. That's why you watch it. You know, and their boobs and their half naked, half They got so many stupid shows on there now. And then that uh, growing up, throwing up gaudy thing they had, I think it's still on there. Is that A&E? Yes. A&E has gone to hell, man. This was supposed to be kind of like an intellectual network, and they put every kind of swill on there. They want to make money, too. No. Well, I'm, I'm going to take the break like a little, because I got so many fish to fry here. Plus, I'm reaching over and I'm shutting that thing off. Well, I'm not taking any calls today. You're not? During the summertime, I leave. It's the 1st of August. We're not allowed to take calls on the 1st of August. Oh, okay. Tuesday, August. What did I call it? The Manion language? That was good. The Manion. We're going to make it up. Let's have a minion for the May- Mayans. 912 votes. We're going to make that 1,000 by uh, 11 o'clock, and then we can all go home. How's that? That sounds like a sounds plan. Sounds great. Sounds like a plan to me. We're uh, kicking ass here between 10 and 2. The rest of the day, boy. And then, of course, uh, Sarney continues. Did I throw that away already, that story? I hope so. No. He continues to say uh, WQM should continue its mastery in the fall when it reunites its murderer's row lineup. Neil Rogers at 10 a.m., Jim Mandage at 2, and Hank Goldberg at 4. Goldberg, who returned from the morning shift, thank God, will share the four to five hour with Mad Dog. That was my idea, by the way. I just mentioned that in passing. It's my idea. Forget that I said that if that hour didn't turn out so good. It's George's idea. What a joke. Exactly. So Hank's still getting out of the mornings, which he never belonged there in the first place. Nice move again, Greg. Greg Reed, the Antichrist. I bet you if you look at all the stuff that's going on in Cuba and the Middle East and uh, Somalia and all the hot spots yeah. in the world, Iraq, Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan, I bet you that Greg's the man. I bet you he's, he's got his finger in all of it. That's what I heard. Wouldn't be the first time either. From minutes past 10, we got uh, Bo Campa at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Kimba, Mad Dog at 4. 6.30, the Marlins on deck. Boy, did they pound the Phillies yesterday or what? Was it 15 to 2? That's right. They pounded their ass because they were really PO'd after getting swept the doubleheader on Sunday. Of course, they probably wasted a few of those runs. Marlins and the Mets, that's a home game, I believe, is it not? Um, I'm not sure. No, you. You I'll know, if you're not on the payroll, you just have no interest. That, that's what really gets me about you. I will look it up right now. Marlins on deck. I know it's a home game. It's at PP Park, the uh, Red Hot Mets, the first place Mets coming to town to play the Marlins at 7.05 tonight, and Eddie K follows the baseball. That's our agenda for you. That's our schedule. Did you look it up? He's doing it now. In the process. Huh? Not a slow process. It says the Marlins versus, it doesn't say at the Mets, so that means it's a home game. You better start learning your schedules here, Mr. Uh, Clarence is going to give you what for. And if he can't do it, Duff will do it. (laughs) When you're ready to make the move to a better night's sleep, call Dial-A-Mattress at 1-800-MATTRESS. Dial-A-Mattress has got clearance pricing on all existing inventory of Sealy Posture Peaks while supplies last. Sealy is changing their entire line of posturepedic mattresses. You'll save on all sizes and comfort levels, so call 1-800-MATTRESS right now for the absolute best selection. 
And, of course, the Sealy Posturepedic is perfect for students heading off to college. And Dynamactress serves all major campuses along the East Coast. Dynamactress will deliver within a two-hour window the day you choose. That's one reason why Dynamactress continues to be ranked number one in the world in overall customer satisfaction. I wouldn't dream of schlepping to any bedding or mattress stores when all you have to do is make that one easy call to make a night of tossing and turning into a night of peaceful slumber on a Sealy Posturepedic mattress for you, your uh, college student kids, or some stranger on a street corner. Call Dial a Mattress, toll-free, 1-800-MATTRESS. By the way, Gary Sarner, i got news for you. You should all write copy like Fat Boy did. Wow, you are really weak, Gary. You're weak. You're pathetic. Man, go over and trape his house. Call Dial a Mattress, 1-800-MATTRES. Leave off the last ass because it stands for sensational savings. This is Neil Rogers. And stupid salesman. This is 562 AM. The Okay, watch out on this bit now. There's a couple of little, uh, yeah, I'll get it. I'll be right on top of it. Castro, get out of Cuba. We just can't use ya. You've been around way too long. Absolutely. Castro. You ugly bastard, too long you've lasted. The Bay of Pigs should have worked. Fidel, you make me sick. Get out of Cuba quick. You are so god. You amigo, son of a bitch. How'd you like that, huh? Baseball, we know you like. Are you behind the strike? Yes. Where were you in 63? Did you kill Kennedy? Absolutely. Muerte. 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 Get out now and free your nation. Are you into masturbation? Fidel uh-huh. will lift the embargo. Cuba will be Come another key lago USA USA We're turning all the rafts and boats away Lucy Castro, get out of Cuba We just can't use ya You've been around way too long Castro, you ugly bastard Too long you lasted The pay a pig should have worked Hey puppy! Fidel, you make me sick Get out of Cuba quick You are so god Because son of a bitch bitch. Baseball, we know you like Are you behind the strike? Where were you in 63? Did you kill John Kennedy? Muerte! 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 Get out now and free your nation. Are you in the masturbation? Fidel will lift the embargo. Fidel will become another Kilago. USA! USA! We're turning all the graphs and boats away. Lucy! 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 They're having a big block party all over South Florida, baby. Only one thing to say. Hi, Papa Juan Pablo. That's it. Anyway, before we get to that crap, and I do mean crap because I'm so oh, sick yeah. and tired of this, all these idiots dancing, uh, dancing in the streets for what? 
He's not for a dead while. yet. We'll, yeah. we'll give you the signal, okay? We'll let you know when it's time for the block party. Yeah, we'll shoot a gun up in the air. What? We'll shoot a gun up in the air. That's it. Like it's the 4th of July. But before we get into anything about Fidel or... and uh, Remember Iraq? So yeah, that's, that's this. Uh, this is the... Um, not a mushroom cloud. This is a different kind of cloud. It's a smoke screen. A smoke screen. All these dead people in the Middle East, as opposed to all those dead people in Iraq that we don't hear about anymore because the media very uh, easily and successfully. In fact, look at that. There it is on CNN. Crisis in the Middle East. There it is, 24, 25, 8, 25 hours a day, eight days a week. But before we get to that, Robert Fisk, who lives in Lebanon, by the way, one of my favorite columnists, he writes for the British newspaper, The Independent, because he surely ain't going to be writing for no American newspapers because they don't want to give you the truth. They just want to give you a bunch of uh, propaganda. He says, how can we stand by and allow this to go on? And I, th- I think uh, just the headline of the article, you know, has is, is got his thumb right on it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, the, the question would be, how can civilized people stand by uh, and allow this to go on? Of course, the word civilized would be oxy, wouldn't it? And the rush would yeah. be popping it if we found some oxys. Robert Fisk says they wrote the names of the dead children on their plastic shrouds. Mehdi Hashem, age seven, Kana, was written in felt on the bag in which the little boy's body lay. Hussein al-Mohammed, age 12, Kana, Abbas al-Shaloub, age 1, Kana, and when the Lebanese soldier went to pick up Abbas's little body, it bounced on his shoulder as the boy might have done on his father's shoulder on Saturday the day before. In all, there were 56 corpses brought to the entire government hospital and other surgeries, and 34 of them were children. When they ran out of plastic bags, they wrapped the small corpses in, in carpets. Their hair was matted with dust. Most had blood running from their noses. You must have a heart of stone not to feel the outrage that those of us watching this experienced on Sunday. There's, this slaughter was an obscenity, an atrocity. Yes, if the Israeli Air Force truly bombs with the pinpoint accuracy it claims, this was also a war crime. Israel claimed that the missiles had been fired by Hezbollah gunmen from the South Lebanese town of Kana, as if that justified this massacre. Israel's Prime Minister Ehud Olmert talked about Muslim terror threatening Western civilization as if the Hezbollah had killed all these poor people and those children. And in Kana, of all places. For only ten years ago, this was the scene of another Israeli massacre, the slaughter of 106 Lebanese refugees by an Israeli artillery battery as they sheltered in a U.N. base in the town. More than half of those 106 were children. Israel later said it had no lifetime pilotless photo reconnaissance aircraft over the scene of that killing, a statement that turned to be untrue when the Independent discovered videotape showing just such an aircraft over the burning camp. It is as if Kana, whose inhabitants claim that this is the village in which Jesus turned water into wine, has been damned by the world, doomed forever to receive tragedy. And there was no doubt of the missile which killed all those children on Sunday. It came from the United States, and upon a fragment of it was written, for use on MK-84 guided bomb BSU-37B. No doubt the manufacturers can call it combat-proven because it destroyed the entire three-story house in which the Shalub and the Hashim families lived. They had taken refuge in the basement from an enormous Israeli bombardment, and that's where most of them died. I found Nuja Shalub lying in the government hospital in Tyre, her jaw and face bandaged like Robespierre's before his execution. She didn't weep, nor did she scream, although the pain was written on her face. Her brother Taysir, who was 46, had been killed. So had her sister Najla. So had her little niece Zainab, who was just six. We were in the basement hiding when the bomb exploded at 1 o'clock in the morning, she said. What in the name of God have we done to deserve this? So many of the ch- dead are children, the old and women. Some of the children were still awake and playing. Why does the world do this to us? Sunday's deaths brought to more than 500 the total civilian dead. Oh, they're, they're slow. It's over 600 now. The total civilian dead in Lebanon since Israel's sea, air, and land bombardment of the country began on July 12th after Hezbollah members crossed the frontier wire, killed three Israeli soldiers, and captured two more. 
But Sunday's slaughter ended more than a year of mutual antagonism with the Lebanese government as pro-American and pro-Syrian politicians announced what they described as an ugly crime. Thousands of protesters attacked the largest U.N. building in Beirut, screaming, destroy Tel Aviv, destroy Tel Aviv. And Lebanon's prime minister, the normally unflappable Fouad Senora, called U.S. Secretary of State Condom Lisa Rice in order to cancel her imminent peacemaking trip to Beirut. No one in this country can forget how President Bush, Ms. Rice, and Tony Blair have repeatedly refused to call for immediate ceasefire, a truce that would have saved all those lives on Sunday. Ms. Rice would only say, we want a ceasefire as soon as possible, a remark followed by an Israeli announcement that it intended to maintain its bombardment of Lebanon for at least another two weeks. Throughout the day, Connor villagers and civil defense workers dug through the ruins of the building with spades and with their hands, tearing at the muck until they found one body after another still dressed in colorful clothing. In one section of the rubble, they found what was left of a single room with 18 bodies inside. Twelve of the dead were women. All across southern Lebanon now, you could find scenes like this, not so grotesque in scale, perhaps, but just as terrible, for the people of these villages are terrified to leave and terrified to stay. The Israelis had dropped leaflets over Kana, ordering its people to leave their homes, yet twice now since Israel's onslaught began, the Israelis have ordered villagers to leave their houses and then attacked them with aircraft as they obeyed the Israeli instructions and fled. There are at least 3,000 Shia Muslims trapped in villages between Kalaya and Atarun, close to the scene of Israel's last military incursion at Bin Jabal, and yet none of them can leave without fear of dying on the roads. And Mr. Olmert's reaction? After expressing his great sorrow, he announced that we will not stop this battle, despite the difficult incidents like this morning. We will continue the activity, and if necessary, it will be broadened without hesitation. But how much further can it be broadened? Lebanon's infrastructure is being steadily torn to pieces, its villages raised, its people more and more terrorized, and terror is the word they used by Israel's American-made fighter bombers. Hezbollah's missiles are Iranian-made, and it was Hezbollah that started this war with its illegal and provocative raid across the border, but Israel's savagery against the civilian population has deeply shocked not only the Western diplomats who remained in Beirut, but hundreds of humanitarian workers from the Red Cross and major aid agencies. Incredibly, Israel yesterday denied safe passage to a U.N. World Food Program aid convoy en route to the south, a six-truck mission that should have taken relief supplies to the southeastern town of Majaroun. More than three-quarters of a million Lebanese have now fled their homes, but there's still no accurate figure for the total number still trapped in the south. Khalil Shalhoub, who survived amid the wreckage in Khan on Sunday, said that his family and the Hashims were just too terrified to take to the uh, uh, too terrified to take the road to the road, road out of the village, which has been attacked by aircraft for more than two weeks. The seven-mile highway between Kana and Tyre is littered with civilian homes in ruins and burnt-out family cars. On Thursday, the Israeli army's Al-Mashriq radio, which broadcast into southern Lebanon, told residents that their villages would be totally destroyed if missiles were fired from them. But anyone who's watched Israel's bombing these past two weeks knows that, in many cases, the Israelis don't know the location in which Hezbollah are firing missiles from, and when they do, they frequently miss their targets. Oops! How can a villager prevent the Hezbollah from firing rockets from his street? The Hezbollah do take cover beside civilian uh, houses, just as Israeli troops entering Ben Shabaya last week also used civilian homes for cover. But can this be the excuse for such slaughter on such a scale? Mr. Senor addressed foreign diplomats in Beirut yesterday, telling them that the government in Beirut was not only demanding an immediate ceasefire and was not interested any longer in a political package to go with it. Needless to say, Mr. Jeffrey Feltman, whose country made the bomb which killed the innocents of Kana, uh, chose not to attend. How could civilized people stand by and let this go on? Where are the civilized people? Do we know any? No. Oh, let me know if you find any. This is Neil Rogers. This I'm dying is 560 
guys, guys, guys. Like he takes it up the We Say it with a little class Don't leave me alone I wanted to go into space The media got on my case So I traded in my locket For a human bone You know that I can't take no more Unzip that fly I'm busting through that closet door Baby, I think I I don't understand why they had a bleep out nose. Isn't that what that said in there? It takes it up the nose? I think so. Yeah. The nose knows. 978 uh, votes. Only 22 away from 1,000. We're going to have 1,000 before 11 o'clock today. Oh. How do you like that, huh? All right. The power of... Oh, God. Holy moly, rat man. That is pretty uh, shocking if you ask me. I mean, ask Jim Sarney what he thinks about that. That old toad, you know? That old bufo toad. Hey, Sarney, you idiot. Booster into the dynamic duo with a one share. I mean, only a crazy person would write crap like that, you know? And he didn't even write anything in there about Evan Cohen this week. This week. Cuban President Fidel Castro was undergoing intestinal surgery and provisionally handed over power. He's not dead yet, by the way, all you idiots dancing in the street. He's not dead yet. He'll probably live to 120 just to piss you off, just out of spite. He provisionally handed over power in the communist island nation to his younger brother, Raul. Younger my ass. Castro, Fidel is 79, Raul 75. Not much younger. Castro's secretary, Carlos Balenciago, read a letter, he said, was from the president, in which he said stress had forced him into surgery and that he would be in bed for several weeks after the operation was complete. He'll be turning 80 August 13. Maybe he'll croak before his 80th birthday. Wouldn't that be good? Or maybe right on his 80th birthday. If he were have a big party in the streets, man. Can you imagine that? All those young punks who wouldn't know Castro if he walked into their house right now. All of them, they're dancing, they're prancing, they're going nuts in the streets. Just another excuse for a drunken block party in the middle of summer, that's all. Raul Castro also assumes control over the armed forces and leadership of the Kami Pinko party. Last week, Fidel Castro was only joking that he had no plans to still hold power when he turns 100. I like that. See, never, never uh, speak prematurely, man. Yeah. There was a premature evaluation. Because last the bulletin we had from Cuba, not looking really very good for Fidel. Isn't that what you heard? He was saying something like that. That's what he said. Castro's surgery came weeks after a U.S. government report called for the U.S. to have assistance in Cuba within weeks of Fidel's death to support a transitional government and help move the country toward democracy. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, it will do like we're doing in the rest of the world right now. We'll bomb them into democracy like in Iraq and in uh, the Middle East and everywhere else. Right. It's always Bomb worked. their ass. Do you want to uh, voluntarily become, you know, part of this whole democratic? It just like uh, the, these are the birth pangs, man. That's what Condom Lisa said. Oh yeah. Condom Lisa. Yeah. What does she know about birth? Nothing. She knows a lot about pantsuits, though. <laughs> Sensible shoes. When Gladys Morales heard that Fidel Castro had temporarily given up power, she woke her 70-year-old mother to celebrate with other Cuban exiles dancing in the streets of Hialeah. Oh my God! And there's pictures here, just like the ones we saw on CNN. Of course, this is the CNN website. Of the same punks carrying on in the streets. To hell with Fidelia. Big deal. Just like I said, if you're so crazy about Cuba, go there. The hotels there are phenomenal. That's what right. Meyer Lansky said. Or if you're so crazy about Israel, go there in Chabdir uh, and Dreher, okay? The women who came to the U.S. from Cuba in 1970 cheered Castro's illness in this heavily Cuban-American city northwest of Miami, the CNN thing said, like we don't know where Hialeah is. Come on, man. We remember those beautiful big uh, royal palm trees at the track of those flamingos, right? Before sure. John Brunetti destroyed it all. 
As if the communist leader many consider a ruthless dictator were already dead, many uh, which many hoped was true, but he's not. He's still alive. They hit him with five shots, and he's still alive. The first thing I thought of when I heard about Fidel is that I only wish my Luis was here to see this. Murta Morales said of her late husband who died April 2004. He would have been here with us laughing and celebrating with his people. Castro said in a statement read on Cuban TV last night that he had suffered intestinal bleeding, apparently due to stress from recent public appearances in Argentina and Cuba. He gave up power to Brother Raul, who's another old toad, Kami Pinko toad. Maybe they can all elope with Jim uh, Sarney from the Sun Sentinel. What do you think? That's a good plan. Yeah, I like it. And Rick Sanchez, take him along with you, too. He was filling in on CNN this morning. He was to fill in. South Florida's Cuban-American community of about 650,000 is the largest segment of Florida's fast-growing Hispanic community, and its influence is felt across the state. That's all the more reason why it's a major miracle that the Neil Rogers Show was number one in the spring book between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. with an eight-point oh. share. How do you like that? Kicking the, kicking the ass out of the rest of the competition. You better mark that down because it probably won't happen again soon. Because, you know, with all the comments you're making, you're going to piss off the Jews, and I'm pissing off the Cubans. And what do we got left? And the blacks don't like us anyway. Those in the hot and the EDR. So what do we got to choose from, huh? Just and the, the Colombians, uh, they're listening to the Radio Suave. We'll have all the rest. The people with and the, the, the old green teeth, they're listening to the yeah. old Celia Cruz records. What do we got left, man? We'll have to settle for the non-professional ethnics. My first reaction was disbelief. My second reaction was hope, said Armando Tellez, who sat on the hood of his red truck watching as hundreds of cars clog the streets of Hialeah. This is a singular event in Cuba's history because there's never been anything that has given people so much hope. Hope of what? Let's have another Fulgencio Batista. Let's have another uh, fascist in there. What do you say? Sure, why not? Then we can bring the mob back in there, build some nice casinos. Michael, you've got you won't have to come all the way up here to fly to Havana. You can actually fly right. right there from Miami. Get some of those cigars. Among these cigar-smoking... Pot banging, or is it pot? I think they got that wrong. Among the pot smoking, pot smoking, cigar banging crowds, they're dancing, baby. See, you should have let that go. I keep talking it up, and you keep dumping her. Well, you quit dumping on uh, Martha, would you? Jesus, my one moment in the sunshine. I'm only doing two days a week here in the summertime, and this guy they finally do something right, and he cuts it off. Schmuck. Among the pot-smoking, cigar-smoking, uh, pot-banging, uh, cheering crowds, waving Cuban fl Cuban flags. Are we back to that again? Next thing you know, they'll be driving around with Israeli flags on there, which they are, I understand. Some yeah, of them, yes. some of the more farbissin. Uh, late last night and early today was a group dressed as migrants wearing life jackets pretending to paddle a cardboard boat on Little Havana's Cay Ocho, recalling the desperate journey many exiles have taken across the Florida Straits. Oh, poor little alien, little alienito. Let's bring him back for another unhappy meal at the you-know-where. Hey, I'm the baby Jesus. This is a and I, and I understand that you turned wine into a, a, a blood into a wine. I, I did. I'll tell you one thing. Maybe that's what they want. Maybe that's how we're going to bring Jesus back. If there's a little bit more, I don't imagine there's too much more blood left in Kana. They already spilled so much over the weekend. But uh, maybe Jesus will come back and turn it into wine. There you go. And he'll hold it up uh, for the camera say, try the wine. Yeah. <laughs> this is a celebration of people of hope returning to their home country, something that is 40-something years in the making, said Joe Martinez, chairman of Dade County Commissioners, who was born in Cuba. The transition of power in Havana would reshape Cuban-American politics, said Dario Moreno, a political science professor at FIU. In Miami, this is a political earthquake, Moreno said. The Cuban-Americans are going to be pressuring their political officials. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Cuban-American elected officials to deliver. Deliver what? Pizza? Deliver what? Media noches? That sounds good, some pizza. Okay. And, and White House... Quiet. White House spokesman Peter Watkins said the administration was monitoring the situation. We can't speculate on Castro's health, but we can continue to work for the day of Cuba's freedom, he said. All right. 
The Cuban population in Florida is hardly unified, with hardline exiles urging a tough stance against Castro. And the younger generation of Cubans who were born in the U.S. or raised most of their lives in the U.S. more likely to support engagement with Cuba. In Hialeah, 34-year-old Orlando Pino steered his bicycle with one hand and waved a Cuban flag with the other. He said he wants to return to Cuba with Castro. Bye-bye, Orlando. Bye-bye. We'll pack your sandwiches, okay? Adios. You're a ghost. All these people threatening to go. You know, see, I, I think this is wonderful. I hope he croaks tomorrow. Yeah. And then then we'll call the bluff of all these people who've had uh, one foot in. You, you know, you heard about that wet foot, dry foot crap. This is one foot in and one foot out. It's kind of like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Spacey. Depending on the day of the week, he's got one foot in the closet, one foot out. Same thing, you know. One foot in Cuba, one foot in the USA. And we'll see just how many people are in such a big hurry to go back and to abandon the life of luxury in South Florida, okay, and the, the beauty and the, the palatial uh, surroundings, uh, yada, yada, and all that other crap. 10-10. 10-10 wins New York. 10-10 CFRB Toronto. We got 10-10 votes. Can you believe it's 10:41 in the morning, and we have 1,010 votes. How do you like them apples, huh? Right. And I'm only just been, I have got stuff here today that will make your bowels quiver. I'm telling you right now. For those of you who care, those of you who are morons who don't care, you'll still be listening anyway, you know. You just yeah. turn it up loud enough so it makes vibrations. Just put your hands on the radio. This is Neil Rogers. The vibrations in your rectum. This is 560 QAM. It's a little old lady from Now I can't think of no one who could make me meaner than that little old lady from Hialeah. She crawls and she's tall, she's a real old fart. She's the terror of Hallandale Beach Boulevard. She's a little old lady from Hialeah. It's a little old lady from Hialeah. Where the most ethnocentric people in the world, please stand up. Oh, look at that. They just all stood up together. Mm-hmm. U.S. Secretary, this is the most important news, perhaps, in the history of mankind. Forget about Fidel. Forget about uh, the Middle East. Forget about uh, Baghdad. Forget about uh, Diebold and those uh, fixed voting machines. U.S. Secretary of State Condom Lisa Rice's renegade fashion sense and dominatrix boots earned her a spot on Vanity Fair's best-dressed list alongside the likes of actress Renee Zellweger and Princess Brin- uh, Britain's Prince William. Yesterday, the magazine unveiled its annual top ten list for the best-dressed men and women that includes actors, pop stars, and royalty. The few queens on the list, I guess. In addition to Rice, the best-dressed women's list includes U.S. television star Oprah Winfrey, 
How do you like that? Best dressed. They yeah. must like that pup tent that she wears. Everybody loves Oprah. Uh, actress Selma Blair. Filmmaker Sofia Coppola. <laughs> Rock singer Gwen Stefani. And uh, Charlotte Casaraghi, daughter of Monaco's Princess Caroline. I never heard of Charlotte Casaraghi, did you? No. Oh. We've heard of Princess Caroline, though. Yes. And I remember her mommy. Football star David Beckham made the men's top ten list with American actor George Clooney. You know something? No. He makes me sick to my stomach. As much as I disliked him before, now that I watch that Syriana, I really despise him. I can't stand him. Well, he's no Mel Gibson. In fact, you know something? <laughs> I see uh, I see some similarities, okay? Forget about the anti-semantic part. I just can't stand George Clooney. He makes me nauseous. And anybody who missed that show when I gave you my review, do not waste your time. Do not waste your eyesight or your money or your ever watching Syriana, okay? It is the biggest piece of turd. Disjointed, disconnected, that tells you there, there's nothing in it of any, like, uh, oh, yeah, uh, guys uh, in, in the oil, oil moguls uh, are crooks and uh, they're making all the big money. No, no. Rapper Can You Believe It West, CNN anchor Anderson's Pooper, I told you there's some queens on here, mm -hmm. and Prince Ernst August of Hanover, Princess Caroline's husband, among others. The fashion glossy named Rice to its 67 list for her immaculately groomed and formidably dignified, but with an audacious renegade streak fashion sense, not to mention her black knee-high dominatrix boots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, condom Lisa. You fairy. The magazine also inducted Queen Rania of Jordan and model Kate Moss into Vanity Fair's Fashion Hall of Flame. The list will appear in the September style issue, hitting newsstands nationwide August 8th. Oh, a week from today. Can't wait. Uh, aren't you excited about that? Thrilled beyond belief. Although, what's her name? Didn't make it. Mrs. Uh, Limbaugh, Darren Kagan. Really going to be. Uh, didn't make it. Miami Spaniard, this is the last thing, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to get into important stuff as opposed to this, all this hysteria. See, when Castro dies, you can, you can only imagine. You know, he's got intestinal bleeding, and he's uh, turned the uh, reins of power over to Raul temporarily for like a week and a half or whatever it's going to be. You can only imagine when he really does croak. Oh, by the way, here's a bullet, and Castro's dead. Psych. And do you hear about Catherine Harris's plane? No, what about it? Let's just start making stuff up, okay? Why that's not? What we'll it's good do. enough for Fox News. Right, that's right. Fox News just made. Oh, I just, I just said a story to uh, Josh from about Fox News, just ripping them an ass about how they're just uh, sucking up to Israel and about uh, rationalizing even what happened in Kana, no matter what. Just lying and lying and lying and pandering through their teeth. Rupert Murdoch is the Antichrist. Miami Spanish language radio came alive last night and this morning as Cuban exiles called into late night talk shows to theorize about what the news of Castro's surgery really meant. Really meant. In other words, uh, there's something dark and dark and sinister here going on. That's right. What does it really mean? You know what I think it really means? I give up. I think it means he's having surgery. <gasps> Radio personalities like Marta Flores of Radio, Radio Mambi caution the audience to temper their celebration. Well, that's another reason that we're not going to be able to compete during the summer months. Now that this thing just happened here, can you imagine yeah. the numbers for Radio Mambi? Of course, most of their audience is death plus ten, you know. That's right. The old demographics. Not our the demo, old yeah. green tooth people. They listen to Radio Mambi. Radio. I got to have trill it real heavy. Radio Mambi. You do that very well, like you. I do it. Practice. I got a lot of practice, man. In fact, if you really want to put me to the test, make no mistake. Wow. I can do it all day. This is the happiest day of my life, one woman caller said joyfully. People listen, listen to me. No one has confirmed that Fidel is dead, Flores reminded her audience, who clogged her radio lines. They were going, oh, yeah, clog. Others said they were sure the uh, mere announcement that Castro will be out of sight for five months is a sign that he's dead. <laughs> Not that we're dealing with people who get a little bit emotional at times. <laughs> 
No, there's nobody. There's nobody getting overly emotional in South Florida. <laughs> the only reason Cuba said anything, otherwise we wouldn't even know he was sick. He's dead," said another caller. At WQBA, Cuba, Cuba, La Cubanissima, Cumbaya. Cumbaya. Radio personality said they had seen a copy of the statement issued by Castro, and the signature did not appear to be the Comandante's giving fuel to the dead theory. I think he's dead. <gasps> this is the beginning for the uh, the end for Castro. Predicted another caller. Some callers said they had reached relatives on the island. They said fear and apprehension seemed to be the prevalent emotions. One woman said, kind of like in a lot of that going around in Lebanon, there's a lot of, well, you know, they keep telling these people, get out because, uh, you know, we're going to be bombing and get out. The only problem is that a lot of these people don't have any cars, and the people that do have cars can't get any gas to go anywhere because uh, there's no gas stations or any commerce going on. And number three, uh, the roads are all bombed out anyhow. But other than that. Anti-Semite. Yeah. Uh, they said fear and apprehension seemed to be the prevalent emotions on Cuba. One woman said her family was locked in their homes, not sure what to make of the news. They're afraid that if they do anything that implies that they're happy, they're going to be ar arrested. Just, just like in the U.S., you know. If the Republicans should lose any election and you're happy about that, they will come and drag your ass away. They'll be knocking on the door at 3 in the morning. It'll either be uh, the uh, fascist regime or it'll be Xavier Suarez in his very fashionable bathrobe. I'm sorry, Javier Suarez. Sometimes it's Xavier, sometimes it's Javier, sometimes it's Xavier Cougat, etc. We got 1,038 votes. That's what the Cougat we got. Now, you remember uh, Iraq? What? Because that, Exactly. That's precisely right. Because that's this whole smokescreen that's going on right now. All these people are just a human sacrifice until this weekend when we finally go with a ceasefire. Because they the, they've, they've already... Uh, in fact, I got that story, too. Israel's ready to swap two Hezbollah captives for the uh, two soldiers that they allegedly were so whipped up about, you know? Mm -hmm. This and this is from the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. Israel will release, huh? Those are anti-Semites too. <laughs> yeah, by Eluf Ben and Shlomo Shamir. He sounds like a real anti-Semite. Shlomo. Israel will release two Lebanese prisoners in return for the two soldiers abducted by Hezbollah as part of a ceasefire agreement. Government and defense officials said yesterday. The sources added that the UN Security Council would call for a ceasefire in Lebanon Friday, and it could take effect as early as this Saturday. Oh, Shabbos. Alternatively, the fighting might continue for a few more days. Prime Minister Ehud Olmert, who's a certifiably crazy person, told British Prime Minister Tony, Tony Blair that as soon as an international force deploys along the Israel-Lebanon and Syria-Lebanese borders, it'll be possible to implement a ceasefire. Immediately after soldiers Eldad Ragev and Ehud Goldwasser were captured, uh, Goldwater, Olmert said that Israel would not negotiate a prisoner exchange for their release, a position he also took following the abduction of Israel Defense Forces soldier Yilad Shalit in the Gaza Strip. But However, with the fighting still ongoing, government and military sources said that Israel would find it difficult to insist on this position in negotiating a ceasefire, a yada yada, and a partridge in a pear tree. So I guess they've got to tell this, although then probably by this weekend they'll say, oh no, we need two, three more weeks. We're not done yet. Isn't that something? Yeah, we're not done killing all those innocent people yet, plus maybe a 10 or 20 Hezbollah. Now, getting back to what I started to see, even now, same thing, overshadowed mm -hmm. by all that uh, Lesbonese crap. Gunmen dressed in military fatigues swooped down on the offices of the Iraqi American Chamber of Commerce and a nearby mobile phone company yesterday, seizing 29 people. Also yesterday, at least 27 others were killed or found dead in political or sectarian violence. It's a bloodbath. It's a bloodbath. It's a civil war. It's a nightmare. The kidnappings occurred around noon yesterday when armed uniformed men arrived in 15 four-wheel drive vehicles in the main shopping area of Karada, an upscale residential district where several prominent Shiite politicians live. Four soldiers died in a suicide bombing in northern Iraq. And it goes on. It's just, just more every single day. 
And, of course, you know, 100, 100 Iraqi civilians are dying each and every day because of all this madness, this lunacy that's going on, that, that Iraq attack. And in the meantime, how come nobody's being uh, tried for war crimes, huh? Because freedom is on the march. How come nobody's uh, being held responsible for this bloodshed, this lunacy, this insanity? How come the butcher of Washington is uh, busy uh, meeting uh, people, for, uh, contestants from American Idol, huh, in his idle time? Let me just tell you right now, my best advice, just keep in mind what I've been telling you for a hundred years. The world is a crazy place full of crazy people, that's all. Apparently. That, that's correct. 1,052 votes. What would be the last thing you'd watch on TV? I don't think I ever read the poll, did I? No. But we still got a lot of votes. Mm -hmm. The last thing you'd watch on TV, Fox News, good choice, 211. There is, uh, that's an oxymoron, Fox News. There is no news. It's only propaganda. Religious programs, 154, and that was a late edition. Like the 700 Club and uh, all this other crap. And James Dobson. And James Robison. And uh, what's that Farbison up there in Fort Lauderdale? Oh, uh, James uh, Kennedy. Kennedy, then. Yeah. People playing cards, poker, 154. I was reading the other day that that stuff actually is very popular. That should tell you that's the end of the world. It's coming. People are watching other people playing cards on television. Any so-called reality show, 143, which includes, I guess, American Idol and all the 85 spin-offs. Mm -hmm. Infomercials, 136. I don't know why. Some of them are very entertaining. Especially the Juicy Man with, uh, what's his name, that just turned 150? Jack Lane. Golf, 89. Wrestling, 53. Soccer, 45. I hate this poll, only 31. They like it. Baseball, 16. Network News, meaning ABC, CBS, or NBC, 14. And CNN, only 6. Oh, and by the way, Wolf Blitzer is Jewish, and uh, guess who else is Jewish? Wolf Blitzer is Jewish? Yes. With a kraut name like that? Blitzer. Blin Blintz cheese blintzes, wolf blintzes. I thought that was like lightning. Let me say it again. Wolf Blitzer is Jewish, okay? Wow. Just keep that in mind. This is so who else is? Rogers. Richard Roth at the U.N. This oh. This is the Neil Rogers Show. <laughs> this is your brain. <laughs> Any questions? First, I was indignant. I was mortified. Living on a desert island with some redneck girls and guys. But I won a million bucks in prime time. In the buff, I struck my stuff. And the nation cried enough, but now I'm back in all the news. I guess I should have paid my taxes, but I had so much to do. I like to roam, fix up my home. I dreamed of men I would seduce once I had my press reduced. But now I'm gonna do some time. But this looks just like the kind of place where I will do just fine. Open up those feeling gates. I've got a smile on my face for the next four years or so. I won't have problems finding dates. I will survive. I will survive. Rectum. I'm surrounded by a thousand men. Ooh, I feel alive. The court says here is where I'll live. I've got so much love to give, so I'll survive. I will survive. Yes. Yes. The heck with Mordio. Here comes Mr. Mordio. Oh, let's see. Dr. Phil, there's one. That's a good one for the poll. What about Oprah? Huh? We'll put them both on there. Put them both on there, Dr. Phil. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, I wouldn't watch her if you paid me by the second. Oprah. Right. Okay. Thank you, Chronic. All right, Kay, you were doubting my uh, comments about Wolf Blitzkrieg. 
Well, I've like never heard that from, before, especially considering Well, I, I, I wasn't really sure, but I noticed that his incredible slant, his pro-Israeli slant. In fact, the last paragraph of his bio in Wikipedia says, Blitzer, Blitzkrieg has regularly been criticized by some observers for what they see as a pro-Israel worldview. Now, would you like to find out why? Okay. Then sit back in your chair, and I'll tell you. Why? Well, I'd rather sit forward. Wolf Blitzer, born March 22, 1948, in Buffalo, New York. There's a big strike against him right there is a Jewish-American journalist and author. He has been a CNN reporter since 1990 and is known for his pedantic, straightforward... I see I put pedantic in there because he's ridiculous. Let's go to Jack Cafferty in the uh, situation room. Oh, he's just... He makes me nauseous. Known for his straightforward, hard news reporting style, Blitzkrieg is currently the host of the newscast, The Situation Room, and the Sunday talk show Late Edition with Wolf Blitzkrieg. Blitzes uh, previously hosted Wolf Blitzer Reports, which was replaced by The Situation Room. Blitzer, whose first name is his maternal grandfather's name, grew up in Buffalo, the son of Jewish Holocaust refugees from Poland. He graduated from Kenmore West Senior High School. He received a B.A. degree in uh, history from the University of Buffalo in 1970, Big and an M.A. degree in international relations from the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies in 72. While studying at SUNY Buffalo, Wolf was a brother of Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity, as was former CNN co-worker Robert Novak. How do you like that? Did you hear that former, I heard former CNN co-worker? The unctuous uh, Robert Novak. And don't, uh, don't blame me for uh, Valerie Plame. His career in journalism began in 1972 in the Tel Aviv Bureau of the Reuters News Agency. He soon moved to Washington, D.C., where he was White House correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Is the picture starting to fill out for you now? Okay. Check. Okay. For the Jerusalem Post after a spell working for APAC as a lobbyist. APAC, which oh, I have a story That's the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. In 1990, he was hired by CNN as a military affairs reporter. His team's coverage of the first Gulf War in Kuwait won a Cable Ace Award and made him a household name. Wolf Blintzes. Yeah, he's an ace. Yeah, whole. Let me say it again. He has regularly been criticized by some observers for what they perceive as a pro-Israel worldview. That's a perception. It's not That's reality, right. of course. Because they're anti-Semites perceiving it that way. Oh, there's a Susan Candiotto, uh, Candiotti. Others wonder how that could possibly be because, of course, there are people who support the communist regime. And Tommy Pinko Bankers. And the possibility of many Cuban exiles, or rather uh, Cubans from Cuba, leaving there and taking to the Florida Straits, making their way here to Florida, and vice versa. Oh, Man. my God. Just what we need is another, I'd say two, 300,000 more uh, refugees. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, I'm out of here. Ari Berman. Okay, keep in mind the name. Sounds like a, well, one of our good uh, Jewish boys to me. Writes in the nation. We have his columns in there all the time on our website. Okay. Apex Hold. See what a good segue that was? Do I know how to segue him or what? You do it. By the way, I'm not taking any calls today. So I don't even have the uh, screen on. I shut it off. Isn't that good thinking? Smart. Well, no, I'm conserving energy because they're worried about the um, about the power demand because we got it's like uh, 185 degrees. Uh, uh, the uh, not the temperature, but the humid X. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like 96 today. It was 93 yesterday, and they had the the second highest demand for power in the history of the city here. And today it's going to be like even worse. How come out there? Oh, there's Mel Martinez. But a beep, but a boop, but about. Oh my God! What a shock to see his ugly ass on there. Uh-huh. It's all. It's already 31. It's going to be 36 today. What is that? 90 uh, something. I think that's 95. Ari Berman in the Nation writes: In early March, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee (APAC) held its 47th annual conference in Washington. 
APAC's executive director spent 27 minutes reading the roll call of dignitaries present at the gala dinner, which included a majority of the Senate and a quarter of the House, along with dozens of administration officials. As this event illustrates, it's impossible to talk about Congress's relationship to Israel without highlighting APAC, the American Jewish community's most important voice on the Hill. The congressional reaction to Hezbollah's attack on Israel and Israel's retaliatory bombing of Lebanon provide the latest example of why. On July 18, the Senate unanimously approved a non-binding resolution condemning Hamas and Hezbollah and their state sponsors in supporting Israel's exercise of its right to self-defense. After House Majority Leader John Boehner removed language from the bill urging all sides to protect innocent civilian life and infrastructure, the House, pa- the House version passed by a landslide vote of 410 to 8. AIPAC not only lobbied for the resolution, it had written it. Congress was given a resolution by AIPAC, said former Carter Administration National Security Advisor Vigna Brzezinski, who addressed the House Democratic Caucus on July 19. They didn't prepare one. AIPAC is the leading player in what is sometimes referred to as the Israel Lobby, a coalition. Now, I want you to put your hands on the sides of your chair. All right. A coalition that includes major Jewish groups, neoconservative intellectuals, and Christian Zionists. Oh, my God. With its impressive contacts among Hill staffers, influential grassroots supporters, and deep connections to wealthy donors, APAC is the lobby's key emissary to Congress. But in many ways, APAC has become greater than just another lobby. Its work has made unconditional support for Israel and accepted cost of doing business inside the halls of Congress. APAC's interest, Israel's interest, and America's interest are today perceived by most elected leaders to be one and the same. Christian conservatives increasingly aligned with APAC demand unwavering support for Israel from their Republican leaders. In mid-July, 3,000-plus evangelicals came to town for the first annual Christian United for Israel Summit meeting. And Democrats are equally concerned about alienating Jewish voters and Jewish donors, long a cornerstone of their party. Some in Congress are deeply uncomfortable with APAC's militant worldview and heavy-handed tactics, but most dare not say so publicly. The Bush administration is bad enough in tolerating measures they couldn't accept anywhere else but Israel, said Henry Sigmund, former head of the American Jewish Congress and a Middle East expert at the Council on Foreign Relations. But Congress, if anything, is urging the administration on and criticizing them even at their most accommodating. When it comes to the Israeli-Arab conflict, the terms of debate are so influenced by organized Jewish groups like AIPAC that to be critical of Israel is to deny oneself the ability to succeed in American politics. There are a few internationalist Republicans in the Senate and progressive Democrats in the House who occasionally dissent. Representative Dennis Kucinich and 23 co-sponsors have offered a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire and a return to multi-party diplomacy between the U.S. and regional powers with no preconditions. But even the resolution supporters admit it isn't going to go anywhere. Another bill introduced by several Arab-American lawmakers that stressed the need to minimize civilian casualties on both sides was politically swept under the rug. According to Representative Nick Rahal, a Lebanese-American Democrat from West Virginia who voted against the House resolution, dovish American-Israeli groups such as Americans for Peace now have largely stayed out of the fight. The latest hawkish congressional activity is primarily intended to show voters and potential donors that elected officials are unwavering friends of Israel and enemies of terrorism. It's just for home consumption, said Representative Charlie Rangel, a powerful New York Democrat who signed on a Kucinich's resolution. We don't have the support of countries that support us. What the hell are we going to do, bomb Iran, bomb Syria? His colleagues said Ray Hall were trying to out APAC APAC. Discussion in Congress quickly widened beyond Israel to include a broader policy of confrontation toward the entire Middle East. Congressmen sent a flurry of dear colleague letters to one another, hoping to pressure the administration into tightening sanctions on Syria and Iran, Hezbollah's two main state sponsors. Former Middle East envoy Dennis Ross addressed a packed APAC-sponsored luncheon on a hill, where according to one aide, who was there, Ross told the room, this is all about Syria and Iran. We shouldn't be condemning Israel now. 
Said Representative Robert Andrews, a Democrat from New Jersey and co-chair of the Iran Working Group, which this week hosted an official from the Israeli embassy, I concur completely with that approach. Democrats, as they did during the Dubai port scandal, used the crisis to score a few cheap, easy political points against the Bush administration. The new prime minister of Iraq, Nouri al-Maliki, found himself engulfed in a congressional firestorm after he denounced Israel's attacks on Lebanon as an act of aggression. Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chair Ron Emanuel, who volunteered in Israel during the first Gulf War, called on Maliki to cancel his planned address before Congress. Ask Senator Chuck Schumer, who skipped Maliki's July 26th speech, which side is he on when it comes to the war on terror? Howard Dean one-upped his colleagues, labeling Maliki an anti-Semite during his speech in Palm Beach. Ironically, during the 2004 campaign, Dean called on the United States to be an even-handed broker in the Middle East. That position enraged party leaders such as House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, who signed a letter attacking his remarks. It was designed to send a message, no one ever does this again, said M.J. Rosenberg of the center-left Israel Policy Forum, and no one has. The only safe thing is to say, I support Israel. In April, a representative from APAC called Congresswoman Betty McCollum's vote against a draconian bill severely curtailing aid to the Palestinian Authority, support for terrorists. Not surprisingly, most in Congress see far more harm than reward in getting in the Israeli lobby's way. There remains a perception of power and fear that APAC can undo you, said James Zogby, president of the American Arab Institute. He points to the defeats of Representative Paul Finley and Senator Charles Percy in the 1980s and Representative Cynthia McKinney and Earl Hilliard in 2002 when APAC steered large donors to their opponents. Even if APAC's make you or break your reputation is largely a myth, in an election year that perception is potent. 36 pro-Israeli PACs gave $3.14 million to candidates in the 2004 election cycle. Rahal said his opponent for re-election issued his first press release of the campaign after Rahal voted against the House resolution. Everybody knew what would happen if they didn't vote yes, he said. APAC continues to enjoy deep bipartisan backing inside Congress, even after two top APAC officials were indicted a year ago for allegedly accepting and passing on confidential national security secrets from a Defense Department analyst. The U.S. and Israel share a lot of basic common values. The vast majority of the American people not only support Israel's actions against Hezbollah, but also the fundamental U.S.-Israel relationship, and the bipartisan support in Congress reflects that, said APAC spokesman Josh Block. Rosenberg, himself a former APAC staffer, puts it another way. This is the one issue on which liberals are permitted, even expected by donors, to be mindless hawks. By blindly following APAC, Congress enforces a hardline consensus, criticizing Israeli actions, even the best of faith is anti-Israel and possibly anti-Semitic, enthusiastically backing whatever military action Israel undertakes is the only acceptable stance. Recent Gallup polls show that half of Americans support Israel's military campaign, yet 65% believe the U.S. shouldn't take sides in a conflict. But it's hard to imagine any Congress or subsequent administration returning to the role of honest broker. What the region needs now, according to Brzezinski, is an American leader brave enough to say, either I make policy on the Middle East or AIPAC makes policy on the Middle East. One can always dream, says Ari Berman. But shame on you, Ari, you anti-Semitic Jew, just like me, and just like Jew. I mean, just 1,086 votes, can that be right? We're going to have over 1,100 by 1,130. You better write this down on the wall. This is Neil Rogers. Write it in the two room walls, man. This is 562 a.m. We 
Thanks, you just sent me. This is the biggest story of the day. I, no, I, 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 huh? When you agree? There's no doubt. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God! This, I mean, we already knew a little bit about this, but this is like in great detail. A press release about it. One of our former best personal friends. It's time to get it on. Bluff Poker Radio will get some excellent help during their broadcast of this year's World Series of Poker. The news company recently announced that veteran sports announcer Mo Howard David will leave the station's list of announcers through the WSOP action. Part of this is chopped off, you'll notice. Yes. Blood Poker Radio will bring poker fans WSOP action. That's World Series of Poker, of course. Ten hours a day for each day of the World Series of Poker host events. The poker radio station is broadcast by the Sirius Radio Network. Oh, my God, just one more reason to go out there and spend that money to get serious. Serious? It's a heart attack. We are thrilled to have a play-by-play veteran like Howard David, anchor of the WSOP broadcast, said Bluff President Eddie Clyde. His experience with the NFL, the NBA, the Olympics, and the PGA will prove invaluable to the World Series of Poker to Radio. Mo Howard David will have some help in the broadcast booth of the likes of Fox Sports analyst Nick Gieber. Journalist John Verhouse and professional poker legend Phil Gordon. Oh my God, Phil Gordon! All that le- the Phil Gordon. <gasps> when I was approached about broadcasting the World Series of Poker, I was honored to get involved in this prestigious event. Explained Hamo Howard David. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Hamo Howard prestigious David? Prestigious event. I want yeah. you to take your head out of your own ass. Okay, calm down. I felt it would be a new challenge for me in the same light as Super Bowl One. I was fortunate to broadcast, as well as the five that followed, from the Super Bowl to the World Series of Poker. All right. I am delighted to have a role in the undertaking. Oh, undertaking. That'd be a good that'd be a good profession for him, wouldn't you think? That's cute. And to announce the winner of the largest purse in all of sports. The Bluff Poker Radio broadcast of the World Series of Poker will truly bring poker fans to the WSOP's edition of broadcasting. David and his crew will bring you tournament analyzation, interviews, and a chance for listeners to interact with the event by act, asking your questions to the poker pros. It says you're acting, but I think asking your questions to the poker pros. And this is a fax of the uh, news release from Hollywood Poker Room, HollywoodPoker.com. Right. Wow. Where well, they have poker in the front. Don't poker in the back. No. Whatever you do. They sell liquor back there. Anyway, there you go. So Mo Howard David uh, moves on. Okay, you see that? That's right. Either you make it or you don't. <laughs> 1,102 votes on the poll. Mike Carlton in the Sydney Morning Herald writes, Children die in the name of protection. This is a good article. I put like a star on it, not a star of David. Oh, not a star. Satanic, upside no, down star, a, pentagram those, devil? Uh, like, like a printed asterisk. I Can see. I print oh, okay. it? Rectum. Rectum risk. All right. 
Dachau, the first Nazi, uh, the first Nazi concentration camp, is a short train ride outside Munich. I went there in my twenties, deep in a German winter. But is this fact important? No. I'm just looking because you know what is this? Apparently, somebody's upset because one of the drug dealers in the new Miami Vice movie is wearing an Israeli Defense Forces T-shirt. Oh boy! Well, we'll get to that. I'll put that over here. Anyway, getting back to this, uh, Mike Carlton, he says a cold mist drifted across the wire fences in the watchtowers and the museum that was once the. SS administration block. Spots of sleet settled on the wrought iron entrance gate, which still displays in evil black letters that indelible Nazi lie of lies, Arbeit macht frei, work brings freedom. I was with an American backpacker I had met about the same age. His father had been a Luftwaffe pilot killed on the Russian front. His widowed mother had immigrated to the U.S. He spoke fluent German. He was on his first visit to the homeland. And so we walked through the camp in the lowering light. The shower room where the prisoners were gassed, the iron hanging hooks, the red brick crematorium ovens, the pistol range where Jews, Christians, homosexuals, Poles, Czechs, Russians, and dissident Germans were murdered for sport by drunken SS guards, the mass graves, the silent witness of six million dead. As we left Barrack X, the killing block, the American boy slumped to his knees, weeping. Mein Vater, he sopped in throaty gasp, racked with pain. Mein Lieber Vater, the Luftwaffe flower he never knew had been, however remotely, an agent of the Holocaust. We clung to each other in the Dachau rain, crying. That preamble is necessary, I think, because in these times to write anything even mildly critical of Israel attracts a hail of letters from furious Jews hurling the charge of anti-Semitism. After last week's column, which canvassed the immorality of the Israeli Defense Forces killing Lebanese civilians, a hysterical Melbourne dentist wrote to accuse me of Holocaust denial. Other emails, a little more rational but loaded with lofty condescension, fumed that I was either ignorant of history or unethically distorting it. My motive could only be hatred of Jews. For your own career advancement, sneered one. Oh, please. A third and larger group sent polite and laboriously long letters replete with Internet links to this source and that one, earnestly proclaiming Israel's right to defend itself from hostile neighbors. We can ignore the mad dentist. As for the second lot, we might bang on forever about everything from the Masada sacrifice to the Balfour Declaration of 1917, but that will not change the awful realities of the Middle East today. It is the third group which warrants an answer. Yes, the Jewish state has every right to exist and defend itself against those Islamic terrorists and their sponsors who seek its destruction. Those Hezbollah rockets fired onto Haifa are an atrocity. The Hamas suicide bombers of Gaza are murderers. Innocent Israelis have died in their scores. But does that give Israel some eye-for-an-eye license to destroy Lebanon, the only other democratically constituted state in the Middle East? Next time you write, please tell me why Lebanese children should die in their villages beneath the wings of the Israeli Air Force or be carried shattered by Israeli shrapnel into bombarded hospitals. Have you seen the horror in their eyes on the TV news? What did they do to deserve this crime against them? Are you no better than your terrorist enemies? Please explain, too, why an Israeli missile slammed with deadly accuracy into the unmistakable Red Cross atop a Lebanese civilian ambulance. Then tell us how it was that four United Nations observers were killed in an attack on a U.N. compound in southern Lebanon, an installation that had been there for 20 years marked on every map and which had broadcast no fewer than 10 appeals for a cessation of the shelling. Finally, I ask you, is it possible that Israel might crush Hezbollah only to create a new generation of neighbors who will grow in hatred to seek vengeance in years to come? Is that all you will achieve? The monument to the unknown prisoner in Dachau carries this legend, carved in stone, to honor the dead, to warn the living. And so to the Bush administration, where the hypocrisy is now practically incandescent. The president is a stuttering loon, we know that. But the sight of his handmaiden, Condoleezza Rice, belatedly flitting from Beirut to Jerusalem in her selection of fetching pantsuits, regretting civilian casualties and bleeding about the root causes, makes you want to heave a brick at the TV set. Israel gets nearly $4 billion a year in military and other aid from the U.S., $3.9 billion. The bombs dropped on Beirut were born in the U.S.A. La Rice grandly offered Lebanon $40 million to clean up the carnage they had wrought.
More than ever, I'm convinced that she is actually Cindy Birdsong, the reborn second vocalist from the Supremes. That's cute. That last line is cute. The rest yeah. of it, of course, is not here. Right. How about those pantsuits, huh? Oh, yeah. Maybe that's, that's why smart. she made that uh, Vanity Fair top ten best dressed bitch. There's no question. Dyke. Man, oh, man. I see that gap tooth bitch on my TV. I want to take that same brick he's talking mm -hmm. about and just heave it. Hurl it. Just hurl it. <laughs> or maybe just hurl it. This is Neil Rogers. This is 560 QAM. Were you drudge-packing? Condoleezza Rice will try to broker a ceasefire to bring an end to two weeks of fighting that has killed over 370 Lebanese and almost 40 Israelis. Condoleezza Rice, you're willing to sacrifice your job. We're also talking about an endurable way to uh, end the violence. You took Delia's advice. Somehow I think you're there just for show. See it before it happens all the time. You failed to make peace with Israelis and Palestinians. You wished it is full, but I'm sorry to say. Things won't get better over there in one day. Come and leave the right. You're making a sacrifice, I know. The notion that somehow policies that finally confront extremism are actually causing extremism, I find grotesque. Yes, peace would be nice, but this is one mission you will blow. But it didn't go so smoothly. She reportedly told Lebanese officials no ceasefire until Hezbollah frees two captured Israeli soldiers and pulls back from the Israeli border. You bitch, you slut. You whore. 11.32 at 560 WQ. I'm happy August the 1st, baby. It's August numero uno. Fidel is dead. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. Anyway, this fact she just sent me from this Debbie Schlussel. Do you know who she is? No. I just Googled her. Oh, okay. She liked it. She's, uh, she's another right-wing nut, nut job. She uh, shows up on Fox all the time. She's oh, a crazy God. person. And she uh, puts out a release here. Somebody faxed this to us about... Uh, uh, she wants she wants people uh, to boycott the Miami Vice movie because the main drug dealer they arrest in the warehouse is, is wearing a giant Israeli Defense Forces T-shirt. I have an Israeli Defense Forces T-shirt. Well, she has one and she wears it as a nightshirt. How do you how do you like that? Debbie Schlussel. She's I'm way ahead of her. I'm boycotting that movie anyway just because of Colin Farrell. Oh. Well, here's some good news. The Brits maybe they're finally although uh, it's not Tony Blair, it's the British Parliament that's just uh, foaming at the mouth. And they're finally taking Tony Blair to task for being the uh, poodle of uh, the U.S. U.S. military flights carrying bombs to Israel will no longer use any civilian airports in the U.K., the BBC has learnt. The decision follows criticism of use of Prestwick Airport near Glasgow to refuel flights suspected of carrying bombs to Israel. Remember how they had to rush those bunker buster bombs over there yeah, about ten right. days ago? Get them there soon enough. Right. Well, they, they made them uh, unapproved, and uh, they just do whatever the hell they want, basically. I heard they busted some bunkers with them. It has emerged that in the future, only military airfields will be used. The decision was reached after protest at the airport and discussions between various government departments led by the Foreign Office. U.S. flights to Israel used RAF Mildenhall in Suffolk rather than Prestwick Airport last weekend, protesting, uh, pro pro prompting protests from about 30, about 30 man. peace campaigners at the military base. BBC News understands that Foreign Secretary Margaret Beckett last week pressed for all U.S. flights through the U.K. to be suspended while the hostilities in Lebanon continued. But her concerns were rejected by Downing Street, by that poodle Tony Blair. 
The latest move means that planes at least will not pass through civilian bases any longer. Ms. Beckett last week opened up a rare public rift with the Americans when she said she was not happy because it appeared that the U.S. planes at Prestwick had not followed correct procedures for transporting hazardous materials, those big bombs that we have to rush over to the, to the Israelis. She raised the issue with U.S. Secretary of State Condom Pleaser Rice and threatened to make a formal protest if the reports proved to be true. Her worries were seized by government critics as evidence that America was taking British support for granted, which is the understanding of the century. I would say. Yeah. We got over 1,100 votes on that poll. Aren't you pretty proud of me? How do you like that? Huh? Impressive. It's not even noon yet. 1,127 votes. What would be the last thing you'd watch on TV? Fox News, 221. Good choice. Excellent choice. On those rare occasions, because it now, I think it was like in the beginning of the year, finally made it mm -hmm. up here, and they stuck it on my cable on those rare occasions when I'm channel surfing and it happens to pop up there like momentarily, that, that quick. And boy, it disappears like, like you wouldn't believe. Even the great Karnak would be amazed by the uh, disappearing act. Fox News 221. Religious programs 170, uh, 177. People playing cards, poker, and crap like that 164. <laughs> wow. Man, the World Series of Poker. Oh, my. And he compares it to doing Super Bowl one and the first five Super Bowls. That's how the mighty have fallen, okay, on really desperate times, okay, Mo? All the crap you can unwrap. All the slime all the time. Any so-called reality show, 151, includes American Idol, American uh, Tal, America's Got Talent, America's Got uh, Desperate yeah. Leadership. Those are all gong shows. Infomercial, yeah, that's right. Chuck Barris is embarrassed. You know, the CIA killer? Yeah. Infomercials, 140. Golf, 91. Wrestling, 57. Soccer, 47. I hate this pool. Only 35. Only 3%. That's pretty low for this very picky crowd. I don't, I don't think you put that on there yesterday. I hate this pool. Come no, on. No, I didn't. Well, why not? Because I hate those people. Oh, well... Network News, ABC, NBC, and CBS, 17. We'd left off Dumont. Baseball, 16. CNN, 17. I didn't even bother putting MSNBC on here because nobody watches it anyway. And when they got Chris Matthews there in Times Square or somewhere in New York talking to a bunch of bubblehead idiots with some shill for Hillary there. I mean, uh, that's the best you can do on, uh, oh, my God. And they put that Tucker Carlson, that bow-tied idiot on there, right in broad daylight in the middle of the day. Yeah, Dan Abrams is really going to put their number where it belongs, in the toilet. Keith Olbermann's still great, though. And you know what? I forgot to watch him last night. He had something good on last night. I forgot what the hell it was. No, I, I saw the promo, and I forgot about it. See, that's what happens when you don't watch a uh, network, you know? Mm -hmm. you, you forget to turn it on. You have to make sure. a special point. It's like QAM. That's why you need to go out house to house, knocking on doors, thanking people right face to face for uh, being loyal and listening to this show, even when they don't listen to sports crap the other 20 hours right. a day. Everyone I run into, the people in line at Publix. That's right. Thanks so much for supporting and listening to the Neil Rogers Show on QM, surrounded by a sea of uh, silly sports holes. God. 1,134 votes. Uh, let's see, what did I leave off? Any so-called reality show, 151, infomercials, 140. Golf, 91. Wrestling, 57. Soccer, 47. I hate this pool, 35. I said that. I, I just did that. Baseball, uh, 16. CNN, 7. Oprah, 4. And Dr. Phil, 3. Out of 1,144. And by the way, the women of America who sometimes think that they're very uh, superior to the uh, slob, the men who are a bunch of dumb slobs That's right. with their ball games and beers, mm -hmm. guess what? What? These, and talk about a bunch of mindless quizlings. Oprah. Right there. That, that tells you everything that's wrong with them in America. The, shut, the fat shut-ins, there are like uh, 80 million of them watching that crap. Mm -hmm. Going out and buying whatever book she says, dressing up like she does with that purple pup tent or whatever it is she's got on. Who the hell are you people kidding, man? It's really sad. Pierre Tristam, who the hell is that? Is he kin to Pierre Trudeau? Oh, he's an editorial writer for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Wow. 
Actually, he writes some pretty good stuff. I've read a couple of his things. Are you going to read stuff all day today? Yes. Oh, no. Take yes. 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 <laughs> I don't even know if I'll get to the Mel Gibson stuff. But let me say it again. ABC. What? <laughs> no. He's crazier than I'll lose. He is. I know. He's a crazy person. You've got to see that South Park episode. ABC pulls Mel Gibson Holocaust miniseries. They pulled it. Mel gives cops hell. That's on the front page of the New York Daily News the other day. Mel yeah, gives cops hell. Look like I did. And then I, I dug out the old article about uh, his daddy. You know. Oh yeah. Holocaust exaggerated. Said Hutton's Gibson, Mel Gibson's father. I'll get to all of that eventually, or or not. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll just keep going. Who we got it to? Bo. He don't mind. He he and all his pals at University Dodge are always faxing us. So they're big fans of his show. He would let us go on till four, no even for our sake. Pierre Tristam, when never again, needn't apply to Lebanon, massacres at Kana. This is really a heavy dude. It's good stuff. I got only good stuff today, baby. And why do I read all these articles on the air? Because I sure as hell uh, I'm not articulate enough or uh, intelligent enough to be uh, saying it in this way, right? Right. You don't have to agree with that. Oh, there's no, that sorry. Barbara Starr guy. It can learn about the <laughs> that, That's a guy. I, I'm serious. She looks maybe like Hank. Maybe she's only got a... Oh, I can't believe you said that. She's only got a strap on. This is Neil Rogers. This is 562 AM. What the hell was that? I don't know. Was it a rejoin? Yeah. Hey, it, Get out a, of here. Yeah. Uh, what? Hey, I don't make them. WQAM.com. That's a rejoin since when? Here. Since now. Oh, okay. Clarence, you idiot. You moron. You fairy. Haven't you heard? Never has a personal stalker like Data Jones. They're both pursued by a stranger. Mel Gibson fears for his own life. Since the passion of the Christ and paparazzi, now his life is in danger. Mel has a stalker. Oh, I love the way that ends. Yeah, they always Just do. like that rejoin, same thing. I'm just, uh, uh, did they uh, Google here on Wikipedia Mel Gibson? 
Oh, there, in fact, there's the thing. Well, then this was directed at the arresting officer. Yeah, Are you a Jew? I'm a Jew. Okay, those are the comments quoted and attributed to Mel Gibson, and now he admits that he made anti-Semitic. Oh, but he's so sorry. It's just like uh, Ulmer said. He's so sorry yeah. about all those dead children, those dead innocent people, and those lesbianese. So, anyway, uh, extremely devoted to his faith. See, well, what kind of a person would make a movie and then make millions of dollars off it, uh, reinforcing, oh, the Jews killed Jesus, yada, 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 and all this other crap, and show him getting, like, uh, flagellated and whipped and bleeding and guts and blood? Who would do that? I give up who? Other than Mel. I hope you enjoyed the movie, though. <laughs> His positions are in accordance with traditionalist Catholicism. That's right. And I, in 2004, we publicly condemned taxpayer-funded embryonic stem cell research that involves the cloning and destruction of human embryos. And yada, yada, yada. Oh, he was on with Sean Hannity. Birds of a feather flock together, okay? But nevertheless. Massacres at Cana when never again needn't apply to Lebanon, writes Pierre Tristam, in the Daytona, of all places, Daytona Beach News Journal. He says it was April 18, 1996, the fifth day of what Israel dubbed Operation Grapes of Wrath, one of its episodic ways of responding to ant bites from South Lebanon's parasites with Dresden-inspired bombing tonnage on the civilian population of Lebanon. At the time, Israel occupied what it disingenuously called a security zone in South Lebanon. It was an occupation zone for about 12 miles deep. But the international press, for the most part, bought the Israeli euphemism. Southern Lebanese didn't especially Hezbollah. The occupation zone was frequently attacked, just as Israel frequently attacked Lebanese villages and kidnapped Lebanese citizens as bargaining chips when it wasn't assassinating them outright, something it has always allowed itself but not others. In April 1996, Israel launched Operation Grapes of Wrath in response to a few Hezbollah rockets that had targeted northern Israel, but as always with mostly ineffective results, except to give Israel the excuse to unleash one of its regular assaults, one of its killer training runs at Lebanon's expense, one of its lessons that never teach anybody anything, but do wonders to beef up the near-fanatical hatred of Israel in the region, a considerable accomplishment, giving the competing factions deserving hate and resentment there. Civilians who couldn't make their way north made their way to United Nations encampments, thanks to the Blue Helmets, th thinking the Blue Helmets would protect them, thinking Israel would not be so murderous as to target UN camps. How wrong the civilians were. On April 18, 1996, Israel unleashed an artillery barrage on the UN encampment at Kana, a village five miles east of Tyre. Hezbollah rockets had been fired at Israel from near there. The rockets had done little more than psychological damage, but they'd been fired. It was enough. Pride is sicker than blood. The U.N. encampment was clearly marked, and when the shelling began, U.N. personnel immediately set off flares and contacted Israeli authorities to let them know their mistakes. It didn't matter. The barrage lasted 90 minutes. When it was over, more than 75 civilians, more than half of them children, had been killed and 400 injured. Israel then called the shelling a grave mistake, but only then. The world was outraged. What good is outrage when the deed is done, when it serves as nothing to prevent another identical outrage? Israel knew what it was doing. This wasn't one stray missile, one misguided airstrike, a 15-minute artillery barrage that got its coordinates wrong. This was a targeted assault on a U.N. encampment that went on for 90 minutes, calculated and barbaric, the way the August 12, 1982 blind bombing of Beirut had been when Ronald Reagan tried for three hours to reach Menachem Begin to tell him of his outrage and demand a halt to the bombing, the way indeed so many of the last two and a half weeks' bombings have been. And Sunday in Kana, it happened again. In an attack that the Israeli military said was aimed at destroying Hezbollah rocket launchers, the Washington Post reports, as if cribbing words from 1996, Israeli warplanes blasted a group of buildings in a southern Lebanese village Sunday, killing more than 50 people, most of them women and children, according to Lebanese officials and on-scene interviews by Lebanese TV reporters. 
The Israelis accomplished their missile sermon in their shining U.S.-made, U.S.-equipped, and U.S.-paid-for jet, uh, jet, fighter jets, as Victor de la Vega put it, on a Sunday, the day of worship in Gentile Christian culture. So much for Condoleezza Rice's show shopping in the Middle East at this very moment. So much for the latest Bush Blair sniffing of each other's rear-ended peace plans. So much for claims of self-defense, just war, surgical precision of claims that Israel is unlike Hezbollah. It is, in fact, far worse than the ongoing campaign. So much for Israel's apologies, which followed on cue today. But we've said all this before. We've been saying it for almost three weeks or ten years. It's the survivors of the first Condor massacre who are speaking, or 24 if it's the survivors of Operation Peace in Galilee in 82, which took out 18,000 civilians in three months and rendered half a million homeless, or 28 years if we go back to the 78 invasion, or on and on. And they still claim it's Israel that's the one being threatened with annihilation, and they still claim that it's Israel's enemies who don't want peace. Lebanon's Prime Minister responded to the latest Connor massacre as he should. No talks with Rice until a call for a ceasefire is made. The British-American Kennel Show proving incapable to do even that much on Friday. The Israelis will respond simply with Craven, we told you so's, and the American press will in the main follow suit. And tomorrow or the day after, we'll wake up to another day of worst day so far tallies of a carnage neither Israel nor Bush seems to get enough of. In 1982, remember, Ronald Reagan intervened himself that massacre in August to threaten Israel with an end to the negotiations. Once that was done, Israel quickly bowed its head and talked. What we now have is a failure of communication, planned and willed between Washington and Jerusalem, while arms shipments from a few quite American factories rushed their way to the promised shred of the Holy Land, Kana style. It was bread and wine that miraculously multiplied then. It's blood and guts that so generously flow, with thanks to be the Bush Blair twins, the Olmert Nasrallah twins, and, of course, that fifth wheel careening hither and yon like a dervish without voice, Condi Rice. That's great. Isn't that a great article? That's I like it when they take shots at Condi. Huh? I like it when they take shots at Condi. Dr. Reich? Yes. With her nice pantsuits? Uh-huh. All this crap about, well, I don't want to be coming back here in three months or six months. No, of course not, especially if, like, we could, you know, save a few hundred lives in between. It's not, it's not worth it. Their lives aren't worth that. If they stop the insanity for three days, it would be well worth it. What else have you got to do besides shopping for uh, pantsuits? Bitch. But nevertheless, where's Colin Powell and all this? Anybody heard from him? No. No, he's not. No, he, he's, he's still checking out that vial that he was holding up at the U.N., you know? Yeah, well, it's pretty vile. I mean, these neocons and their, their pawns have gotten away with the most, in the last five years, the most unbelievable series of crap, more death and destruction, and the public is, uh, you know, that, that's why I read you that thing about uh, Wolf Blitzkrieg, okay? That should shed some real good insight as to the kind of warped, twisted the presentation you'll get from him. Put more peace in place. There you go. I bet you Jack Cafferty would like to poison his rogalach. Dan K. Thomason, who is Dan, he's former editor of the Scripps Howard News Service. He says Israel has screwed its last remaining ally. But what does this have? Castro's dead. That's what I heard. Didn't you hear that? Fidel may be dead or may not. He's dead drunk. Is that it? He's dead tired. <laughs> oh, and Catherine Harris, she might as well be. Holy cow, am I going to get to that article? Oh, I think I will. Florida Republicans won't back Harris? <laughs> they said, forget about it, sweetheart. You haven't got a Chinaman's chance in hell. We appreciate all those fixed votes back in the 2000 election in Florida, but who are you kidding, honey? Anyway, Dan Thomason says, with allies like this, who needs enemies? If the Israelis had deliberately set out to undermine about the only friend they have left in the world, they couldn't have done a better job. The tragic bombing of the women and children in Lebanon had nearly the same impact on a White House hoping to turn voter attention away from its failures in Iraq and the nation's growing loss of international respect. 
With the crucial midterm elections only three months away, President Bush is running out of time to up his low overall approval ratings to a level most analysts believe he will need to prevent at least some loss of control in Congress. Those ratings have been stuck in the miserable 30s for months. About 30, man. If the Democrats should capture one house or both, the president's policies would be in serious jeopardy. While that seems unlikely a few weeks ago, while that seemed unlikely a few weeks ago, despite the continued losses in Iraq with little relief in sight, the events in Lebanon have increased the possibilities for the opposition party. Adding to voter dismay is the seeming inability of this administration, or the European community, for that matter, to deal with the real culprit in the peace, the Iranians. Without Iran's undisguised backing, the militant Hezbollah would not have had the whereabout to accomplish its anti-Israel mission. It is quite clear now that the Iranians are seeking to improve their influence in an area that may now increasingly believe is the incubator for WW3. Concern about the potential for worldwide conflagration is evident in recent voter polls and is helping to widen the split among Republicans over the president's policies. My daughter-in-law expressed it to me only moments after learning of the latest tragedy. She said, I don't want my boys to face this. She said near tears, a reaction not lessened by the fact that the children are more than a decade away from an age when they'd be called a military service. The origin of the Iranian problem can be traced to the misguided policies of Jimmy Carter, who withdrew U.S. support from the Shah of Iran and helped install the fanatical Muslim regime that followed. The Ayatollah. His failure to quickly resolve the ensuing embassy hostage crisis caused the nation a devastating loss of respect and influence worldwide and encouraged continued attacks on American interests. Iranian-backed Hezbollah terrorists conducted a series of kidnappings of Americans in Lebanon that put pressure on President Reagan and resulted in the Iran conflict scandal that threatened his administration. There seems to be no easy solution, certainly not without an agreement in the world community, that it is in everyone's interest to convince, to convince Iran of the pain that comes with being an outlaw nation. Whether this can be accomplished in the U.N. or wherever is anyone's guess. Ironically, the bombing of children may have horrified even the most callous to reassess their positions. On the other hand, those Muslim nations like Saudi Arabia, who originally condemned Hezbollah rocket attacks on Israel, can be expected to now accuse the Israelis of overreaction. So where does the Bush administration now stand? Does it maintain its stance not to condemn Israeli military response to the rocket attacks and kidnappings while trying to negotiate a ceasefire? Clearly, a shaken Secretary of State condom please arises between a rock and a sand dune, cutting her peace mission short and returning home, with her tail between her pantsuit's legs. The next step may be for all-out support for proposals to put a U.N. force in southern Lebanon to prevent the attacks. It should be obvious to everyone, including the Israelis, that efforts to knock out the rocket sites are not effective and that ground forces are the only way. For Israel to send an invasion force in Lebanon would heighten the potential for a regional conflict that could spread into what everyone hopes to avoid, the third world conflict in less than 100 years. Few presidents have confronted the kind of peril that Bush now faces. The divisions in this country over Iraq and now the Israeli situation are approaching those that so divided the nation during Vietnam. It may be difficult to ask the Israelis to stand down under the circumstances, but the possibility of further killing of innocent children should force them to do so. Americans expect more of their allies. Oh, look at this. Mr. Gibson, your apology is not accepted. <laughs> oh, no. Poor Mel. He can't catch a break. Yeah, you know what? Like I can. What do you make? A hundred million off that stupid yeah. ass movie that, that twisted. Although, you know what the Pope said? What? It is as it was. It is. That was the Pope. Uh, not, not this Pope. That was the previous Pope. Oh, that's right. The Pope, the uh, slob on the slab. <laughs> what? Oh, don't you yeah. remember they slept him around yeah. after he croaked? They slept him all around Rome and the slab on the slab. It very those, really, those really neat shoes he had those on, man, those slippers. little slippers. Oh. So and then, of course, this pope, or the the, uh, the new pope, the kraut pope, he, he wears right. those really neat red slippers. Good thing he's not an anti-Semite. I wonder when his red shoe diaries are coming out. 1,183 votes on the poll. What would be the last thing you'd watch on TV? And thank the Lord, Fox News is winning with 200 and... About 30, man. Votes. This is Neil Rogers.
This is 562 QAM. This is Mark Morgan. It's the 12 to 1 hour on QAM. For justice, we must go to Don Corleone. This here uh, meeting at a homos will uh, come to order. It's homos, not homos. <laughs> Shut up, you moron. I call it the name homos because what I say goes, see? And is your exhausted leader of homos? None other than I, Mo, say that homos officially does not recognize Israel. What do you mean? It's right over there. I'm very sorry, but I do not recognize it. But you've seen it before. It's right there. Oh, no, that I do not recognize. In the water. They're trying to get me looking at that map. Fix the Look, crap out of my face. Right my... <laughs> I can see here. You're the one that's blind. <laughs> hey, you know, I think it is. Desmond Decker said it best. No, not a bum that I drop in the bomb. For that, I no longer recognize. <laughs> 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 I dropped you on the top of your head. It's about time I gave you a really good sister. I'm almost in the past. You want to play a little slot? No wonder I had no problem taking over your Oi. Promo 2 at 560 WQAM. Happy Tuesday, August 1. Thank you. Boy, July's already done. That's bad news, man. No, it's great. Bad news. It means we got only about, what, five or six weeks of the summer scam? I mean, the schedule going? Mm-hmm. Sean, who's one of our uh, poll experts, he's seen a few. Yeah. Sends us, but in the meantime, which is why I played that little clip, I don't, I don't even know if I ever played that before, did I? The homos? No, not that. Oh. This one. For justice, we must go to Don Corleone. Sure, you must have. Oh. Anyway, Sean says, because uh, I was asking the other day, and I was embarrassed with both of us. Right. Uh, we forgot where that line came from. Why did I veep? And right. then he goes, and Sean, of course, is being, uh, you know, no, doesn't mince his words, man. He may mince a little bit, but he just goes on with a whole paragraph here, two paragraphs. I believe in America. And the very beginning scene in The Godfather. Remember that? That's right. Very dark scene. Oh, yeah. Real dark. And he goes on about he raised his daughter in the American fashion. He gave her freedom. But she found a boyfriend, not an Italian. She went to the movies with him. She stayed out late. I didn't protest. Two months ago, they took her for a drive with another boyfriend. They made her drink whiskey and then tried to take advantage of her. She resisted. She kept her honor. So they beat her like an animal. When I went to the hospital, her nose was broken. Her jaw was shattered, held together by wire. She couldn't even weep because of the pain. But I wept. Why did I weep? See, there it is. There it is. She was the light of my life, beautiful girl. Now she'll never be beautiful again. I went to the police like a good American. These two boys were brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison, suspended a sentence. Suspended a sentence. They went free that very day. I stood in the courtroom like a fool, and these two bastards, they smiled at me. Very good, Sean. I remember that. He's great. Yeah. By the way, don't, don't steal this one poll. I, I want to get all over that one. Which one? Which one? The top one there. Oh, well, I like the middle one. Okay, good. Well, you would like the top I'll one. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll go nuts. We must go to Don Corleone. See, well, you, how about Oprah? 
that's going on there. So, brother, I'm not going to tell you honestly what the poll is. You can yeah, no you can mess with that poll tomorrow. Anyway, we have, <laughs> getting back to important business. We got Kim Bo Camper coming up at two this afternoon. When's the ball game on for crying out loud? Boy, you sure lucked out yesterday. Oh yeah. Nothing worse than guys that are like getting paid to do a four-hour show and they, you know, come show up thinking thinking that they're going to do a four-hour show uh-huh. and surprise. Oh yeah. Only two and a half. It was pretty ah. What are we going to do about that Fidel situation? Oh, we're just going to keep an eye on it. Maybe we should play a bunch of alien stuff. You think so? Why not? Some of that stuff's nice and long. Oh, like this one. Yeah. Three thirty-six. This will take us till midnight. But where the hell it starts is anybody's guess. Although one of my favorites is. Oh, I think my very, very favorite is. You talk about a guy that really he made a whole career out of one song. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had other songs. He had, what was it, Tallahassee Lassie? I don't know. Right? Freddie Boom Boom Cannon, baby. That's right. He was no Arnie Boom Boom Ginsburg, or that was Woo Woo. Woo Woo and Boom Boom. This is the one you forgot. Name it. With a bunch of silly ass queens. Okay, that's enough of that. Hey, he's a Freddie Cannon. He was he was okay, but like I said, Palisades Park though, that was like awesome, wasn't it? It was all right. You don't like it? It's okay. Come on. You know what? I like this better than the original. Oh, uh, <laughs> Book of Brown has a way of sprucing things oh, up. Oh, no. And then, of course, Juan Miguel Gonzalez, Father of meets with his attorney. There's only one reason you like that, and that's because he says, Bye, bye, bye. That's the that's only, the only reason. Like oh. It's just funny. It is funny. Then there's always. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale of a bearded comedy stuff. Ah, uh, see, there you go. Beautiful. Hey, kids. Take Mom by the hand and hold on tight for a fun-filled time at Alien's Waterworld Park. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Yes, it is. Outstanding. Alien, we're getting tired of you. Alien, you should be Cuba bound. I love when he was in the backyard. The plane, the plane's going to take me the back peanuts, to Cuba. The and, of course, they totally twisted his words around. Oh, no, is that plane? Uh, the, leave me alone. I'm not going back there. That was when he was being held captive by Maris Grisias. Mitchell Plitnick writes, let's see, he's the director of education and policy for Jewish Voice for Peace and a regular columnist for Tikkun magazine. Something Pro-Israel like and pro-Lebanon, he says. That's the uh, heading and on TomPain.com. Am I reading too much today? No, no. I'm loving it. I'm writing all these down, too. What? I'm going to report you to the ADL. <laughs> Good. Call up Art Tiedelboom. See what he has to say about it. Hey, Art, coxa hoy, sweetheart. As Israel loses more soldiers in actions that increasingly resemble the catastrophic 1982 invasion of Lebanon, the question for Jews in Israel, America, and the rest of the world becomes not just whether Israeli actions are morally justified, but whether or not they are strategically sound. The answer to both is no. no. Sadly, the actions of the U.S. government have contributed to a destabilization of the region that can only harm Israel. 
It has vetoed two U.N. security resolutions calling for a ceasefire and immediate negotiations. Secretary of State Condom Pleza Rice was quoted as saying she did not see what purpose a ceasefire would serve. Such comments leave the impression that halting the death of innocents doesn't even factor into Rice's thinking. This diplomatic failure by the U.S. has defined the Bush administration's strategy in the region, strategy in quotes. The U.S. completely supported Israel's action in closing off the Gaza Strip's land, sea, and air access shortly after a democratically elected Hamas government took power at the beginning of 2006. This devastated an already crippled economy in Gaza and weakened a Hamas government that had held a shaky truce with Israel for more than a year and was moving toward negotiations on implicitly recognizing Israel along its 67 borders. Meanwhile, ongoing skirmishes between Hezbollah and Israel over Israel's continuing presence in the Sheba Farms region, which Israel claims is Syrian territory while Lebanon claims it as its own, were simply ignored by the rest of the world. Instead of pushing for a solution to these problems, the Bush administration preferred to let them simmer. It boiled over when Palestinian groups in Hezbollah attacked Israeli army posts inside Israel, taking Israeli soldiers hostage. All sides rightly condemned Hezbollah for those attacks and for the deadly rocket attacks on Israeli towns, but those rocket attacks only started after Israel started bombing Lebanese civilians. Let me read that sentence again. Those rocket attacks only started after Israel started bombing Lebanese civilians. The Israeli government is responsible for escalating the conflict, and it showed total disregard for its own citizens, let alone the Lebanese, by doing so. That doesn't excuse Hezbollah's actions, but Israel knew very well that it was opening the door to civilian casualties of its own when it hit Lebanon. Now, more than two weeks after Israel invaded Lebanon, and almost a month since Israel began its assault on the Gaza Strip, Israeli leaders have admitted that these operations have little to do with freeing their captive soldiers. Instead, we hear daily of the new Middle East which this war will create. This was attempted before, when in 82 Israel attempted to install by force a government favorable to it in southern Lebanon. The results then, as now, were only an intensification of the old Middle East violence. The course the Israelis are pursuing is not only immoral, it is self-defeating. It makes perfect sense that Israel would want to see the Lebanese army replace Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, but the way to do that was to help strengthen the Lebanese government. It's obvious that Israel has every right and responsibility, even as an occupying power, to stop rockets, however ineffective, from being launched from Gaza at their towns. But to accomplish this goal, Israel should allow Gaza the freedom to build up its economy, and Israel should work with a legitimately elected Palestinian government through diplomacy and economic incentives to act to prevent such rocket attacks. The present situation marks a complete failure of diplomacy only because diplomacy was never attempted. Hamas, after one control of the Palestinian Legislative Council, was unable to find a way to reconcile its charter with the need to renegotiate with Israel. Despite the departure of Syrian forces from Lebanon, the Lebanese government hadn't yet been able to find a way to integrate Hezbollah's armed wing under one command of the Lebanese military. But both Hamas and Lebanon faced very difficult obstacles. Instead of recognizing those obstacles and trying to work with democratically elected governments, Israel and the U.S. shut down all negotiations, moves which played right into militant hands by demonstrating the futility of trying to negotiate with Israel. This was most acute with regard to the Palestinians. Despite well-publicized Israeli withdrawal of settlements and soldiers from inside Gaza last year, Israel has maintained total control of the Strip. Palestinians routinely fired most, mostly ineffectual rockets at Israeli towns, while Israel routinely shelled and caused sonic booms over Gaza, causing many deaths and far more damage to people and property. Israel's devastation of the civilian infrastructure of Gaza and Lebanon far outstrips the damage it's done to Hamas or Hezbollah. The large number of civilian casualties has greatly increased support for both groups. In fact, for all its military might and tough talk, Israel is proving that it cannot, in fact, defeat these groups with force. Is there a single Israeli who feels more secure today than they did four weeks ago? Clearly, the answer is no. The U.S. has resolutely refused to consider the real root cause of the current violence and the regional instability, the Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands. However the current crisis plays out, there will only be more occupation, there will only be more violence if occupation doesn't end. 
If America is really concerned with Israeli interests, it will work to end that occupation. That will restore morality to Israel and the global Jewish community and is the only way to security and hope for all these people of the region, all those people. You're making too much sense. I'm going to report you. Okay. Jew report hater. me to the SS, okay? Jew hater. The SS. Who are they? Your government. Oh. 1213 at 560 WQAM. Will you calm down? Are you, now you guys having some lunch today? Yes, or we are. What? We're having some Tony's. Tony's Pizza. See, I mentioned pizza before and it didn't take long. I got to play that drop again. He was so good, you know. He didn't have a big role in the movie. But that opening scene where he says, For justice, we must go to Don Corleone. Yeah. Be my friend, Godfather. And he puts out his hand. He kisses his ring. Mm-hmm. Be better. Or you, or you can kiss his ass. Either one. 1214 at QM. Hurricane season is here. We're right in the middle. Of it. We're smack dab in the middle. Don't wait until it's too late to protect your home. Hurricane Shutter Outlet has got all your do-it-yourself hurricane panels. Why would anybody in his right mind want to bother with those big home improvement hurricane warehouses when a hurricane Shutter Outlet is your complete source for hurricane protection? They have everything you need to get the job done and save you a lot of cash. They stock all sizes of clear polycarbonate hurricane panels and aluminum panels that are cut to your needs and ready for you to pick up or they'll deliver them right to your home. And keep in mind that all their products are Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County approved. Contractors and installers welcome, and they accept all major credit cards, too. Step-by-step instructions are included, so why pay all that extra money for installation when it's a piece of cake for you to do it yourself? Thanks to Hurricane Shutter Outlet, they can get you all the things you need to do it yourself and save a ton of cash. Call them at this number, 954-237-7083, or log on to their website, hurricaneshutteroutlet.com. Tell them that Neil told you to call. They'll give you 100 bucks off on a minimum order of 350 square feet. You'll find these folks located at 600 Anson Boulevard in Hallandale on the east side of I-95 between Hallandale Beach Boulevard and Pembroke Road. Hurricane Shutter Outlet. Call them at 954-237-7083 or on the Wicked Web. Log on to hurricaneshutteroutlet.com. This is Neil Rogers. Rock solid. This is 562 AM. The Hoover out the moon, man. Hello, I am Sambu Roy, and like many of you, I had a problem with missing skull. I woke up one morning, scratched my head, and cut chunk. Half my skull is in my hand. This is Cy Sperling for the Skull Club for Men. Sambu is like thousands of men with missing skull. Not only is it fatal, it can lower your confidence and self-esteem. I started losing my skull in my early 20s. I was sick and tired of being called numb skull and half brain, so I called the Skull Club for Men. With our non-surgical skull replacement system, we take pieces of skull. Don't ask us where we get them and use a staple gun to replace the missing cranium. Now when I run my fingers through Tom's skull, I don't end up with chunks of brain. And it looks so natural. Thank you, Skull Club for Men. So call Skull Club for Men today. And remember, I'm not just the Skull Club president, I'm also a member. Ooh, wait a second. That's my skull on the floor. I got it. Ooh. I think I'm going to start the uh, Skull Cap Club for Men. Wouldn't that be cute? Okay, that'd be something. Oh, don't tell me you're eating now in the middle of the show. Oh, gee, sorry. While I'm sitting here reading and you're eating. We got a lot of votes on that poll, man. I can't believe it. On the 1st of August, wouldn't you think everybody would be out of town? They are. Don't forget the Mets and the Marlins at PP Park tonight. Any interest? No. Marlins are only seven games under. Actually, they were only five games under until they lost that doubleheader. Or was it the day before? Well, they lost four or five. I, mean, I beg your pardon? That's not going to do it. Would you stop being so damn negative? My God, since you're off their payroll, you turned on them like a cornered rat. 
I was never on their payroll, and I'm really the, the worst thing I ever heard was when you said Dave Van Boring is the worst play-by-play broadcaster in the history of the ball, of baseball. I couldn't believe you said that. You said he was coma-inducing. He said it twice. I know it. 1,213 1, votes on the poll. I can't believe it. Can you? I believe it. Isn't that a shocking development? Wouldn't you say that ought to be on the front page of the Sun Sentinel? Maybe Jim Sarney can put that in a column. I'm sure he's penning it now. And what was that? What was that line he used about? Uh, they were. I, I got that here. Dynamic somewhere. duo. The the, the dynamic. Neil and George and Josh Cordes are the dynamic radio dynamic trio. Well, don't you expect that coming up this next weekend? And also about the fact that Neil had an, an eight share in midday and kicked everybody's ass, and the ticket had a one point one, and that the juice uh, put his tail between his pantsuit and his legs and uh, to hauled ass. And that Sid Rosenkrantz Bergstein is going to be doing uh, that mid uh, by himself, at least uh, temporarily, until he leaves town and goes back to New York, which he's dying to get out. Those, those are the kind of things that you ought to be putting in there. Instead of this Boog and the Zazlo, our radio's dynamic duo, my God, that sounds so gay. You know, doesn't it? A little bit. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see uh, them in the Batcave together. God only knows what's going on down there. All kinds I of dark things. I, I somehow can't see Boog. I mean, I know he lost a lot of weight. Yes. But I can't see him sliding down that grease pool. Can you? Oh, yeah, I'm picturing it now. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the, the uh, second, see, the audience doesn't know what we're talking about. It's an inside thing, which is good. We know and you don't. Oh, well, Sean's polls, we don't want to tell them ahead of time because then no. they'll start calling in with suggestions. Although they can't call in anyway because I'm not taking any calls. Maybe you don't believe me, but I, I shut the monitor off right, right at the beginning I of the show. You. I heard I'm a not, click. Why would I wait to waste the energy on there? I'm not taking any. Hi. There you go. Yeah, right, right. Oh, you're not still getting those, are you? Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, on those questions there, um, who mm -hmm. killed Cock Robin? That's right. Right? We don't know the answer to that. I think it was Josh. Did he do it? Mm-hmm. Because I was just thinking about Robin sliding down that greased pole right. with the Batman, you know. Killed him with a candlestick holder in the elevator. Norman Solomon writes, applauding while Lebanon burns. Now, this, and, you know, and many of these articles, by the way, were written before this weekend, before uh, the latest Kana massacre. This okay. was written uh, Wednesday, July 26th, so it's like a week ago tomorrow. Applauding while Lebanon burns. Syndicated columnist Richard Cohen declared in the Washington Post last Tuesday that an eye for an eye would be a hopelessly wimpy policy for the Israeli government. That's a week ago today. Anyone who knows anything about the Middle East knows that proportionality is madness, he wrote. For Israel, a small country within reach, as we're finding out of a missile launch from any enemy's backyard, proportionality is not only inapplicable, it's suicide. The last thing it needs is a war of attrition. It isn't good enough to take out this or that missile battery. It's necessary to reestablish deterrence. You slap me, I'll punch out your lights. Cohen likes to sit in front of a computer and use flip phrases like punch out your lights as euphemisms for burning human flesh and bones with high-tech weapons courtesy of the American taxpayers. In mid-November 1998, when President Clinton canceled plans for air attacks on Iraq after Saddam Hussein promised full cooperation with U.N. weapons inspectors, Cohen wrote, something is out of balance here. The Clinton administration waited too long to act and needed to punch out Iraq's lights and didn't do so. The resort to euphemism tells us a lot. So does Cohen's track record of sweeping statements on behalf of his zeal for military actions funded by the U.S. Treasury. On February 6, 2003, the Washington Post published Richard Cohen's judgment the morning after Colin Powell made his televised presentation of the U.N. Security Council. The evidence he presented to the U.N., some of it circumstantial, some of it absolutely bone-chilling in its detail, had to prove to anyone that Iraq not only hasn't accounted for its weapons of mass destruction, but without a doubt still retains them, Cohen wrote. Only a fool or possibly a Frenchman could conclude otherwise. Cohen's moral certainties are on a par with his technical ones. While he condemns rockets fired into Israel, he expresses pleasure about missiles fired by the Israeli government. 
that the death toll of civilians is far higher from Israel's weaponry doesn't appear to bother him. On the contrary, he seems glad about the killing spree by the Israeli military. In a column with bigoted overtones, including the quote, Israel is, as I've often said, unfortunately located, gentrifying a pretty bad neighborhood, Cohen's eagerness to support additional large-scale bombing by Israel is thematic. Consider this passage. Hezbollah, with the aid of Iran and Syria, has shown that it is no longer necessary to send a dazed suicide bomber over the border. All that's needed is the requisite amount of thrust and a warhead. That being the case, it's either stupid or mean for anyone to call for proportionality. The only way to ensure that babies don't die in their curb, cribs and old people in the streets is to make the Lebanese or the Palestinians understand that if they, no matter how reluctantly, host these rockets, they'll pay a very, very steep price. Such phrasing is classic evasion by keyboard cheerleaders for war. The Lebanese, the Palestinians, they will pay a very, very steep price. Meanwhile, in the real world, the vast majority of the victims of the Israeli onslaught are civilians being subjected to collective punishment. Cohen, like so many others in the American punditocracy, depicts the death of an Israeli civilian as far more tragic and important than the death of an Arab civilian. There's something really sick about such righteous support for civilian death and destruction. Osama bin Laden, meet Richard Cohen. Richard, meet Osama. Nice going, Norm. You go, baby. Oh, Norman hey. Solomon. Anti-Semite. <laughs> yeah. I think his real name was Udalevich. That's right. His new book, by the way, is War Made Easy, How Presidents and Pundits Keep Spitting Us to Death. Yeah. I may have to go out and get that. Now, can we get off of this Middle East stuff? All this killing and murder and bloodshed and mayhem? Please. Something lighthearted like Mel Gibson. That, yeah, like Mel Gibson. Speaking <laughs> of anti No, I, actually, I don't have anything lighthearted in here. Although that story about Condoleezza making the vanity fearless, that was pretty uh -oh. good. Please, a Condoleezza. Oh, that's Dr. Rice to you, Neil. That's Dr. Rice. She's a real, a well-educated piece of crap is what she is, okay? A bubblehead. She's in so far over her head, she's drowning in the Sea of Galilee, baby. She's drowning in it. And we're watching her get up there and talk about uh, uh, these are the birth pangs of the uh, uh, fight for the um, democracy in the new Middle East. Uh, they're, 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 these are the ramblings of neocon lunatics, that's all. That's what her speechwriters are writing, uh, all these neocon maniacs. The Richard Pearls and Paul Wolfowitzes and uh, uh, Bill Crystals of the world. Lunatics, crazy people. And Dick Cheney, of course. Don't forget Dick. <laughs> Group identifies new flaws in Diebold e-voting machines. Can't we find a good machine, man? That, that, seems to be, that seems to be the problem with America today. Nobody can find a good machine, man. And not just America. I'm having difficulty, too. You know? yep. Yeah. Can't find that good machine. Although I had a winning morning yesterday and Friday. Good. Yeah, well, not, not that good, you know. <laughs> on my losing days, I lose my ass. And on my winning day, well, see, now the deal is if I win over a certain amount, I run out of there, you know. Good I just race out. Mm-hmm. Like my machine gave me a thousand on the line yesterday morning. I took that ticket and I cashed it, ran out of there like I was shot out of a cannon. Like yeah. I was one of those Freddy American. Boom boom that, the Freddie Boom Boom Cannon. One of those American uh, bunker buster bombs, you know, that, uh, they, that they sent so uh, breathlessly last week. 26 by all these. And, and, and see, all these people who are dying, yeah. all the innocent people that are dying, they're dying because of politics, that's all. Right. So all you idealists out there, all you fools with all you ostriches with your heads buried in the sand, that, that's what it's all about, politics and business. Where's Howard Beale when we need him, you know? That, that's what we need. Everybody to turn on their network news tonight at 6.30, and instead of the usual uh, canker anchors on there, all of a sudden, here's Howard Beale. Wouldn't that be Listen great? Listen to me. That's right. Crime is mad as hell, but I'm not going to take this anymore. Oh! Poor Peter Finch, man. He was so good. Yes, he was. 
27 past noon at 560 WQM. Lobster Fest is back every Friday through Sunday at the Emerald Coast by far and away, by a million miles, the best Chinese buffet anywhere in South Florida. they got three uh, uh, Emerald Coast for you. They're in Sunrise, Pembroke Pines, and Sunny Isles Beach. You'll find over 100 different items on the menu, so take your time when you go in there. Make a day of it. Just pick out. Start out with six different kinds of delicious soups, then go for the juicy, delicious New York steak grilled to your order, hand-carved prime rib. They got a sushi bar and all the traditional Asians, uh, Asian dishes. What I say, ages and ages, Asian dishes as well as a salad bar and a seal bar. There's so much food you won't know what to pick out on next at the Emerald Coast. And their dessert bar is fabulous during the week, but on the weekend even more fabulouser. The 40-inch chocolate fountain will make your mouth water as you hand dip your strawberries, marshmallows, cheesecake. Stick all kinds of decadent things in there and loads of milk chocolate for dessert. A perfect ending to a feast at the Emerald Coast. And don't forget, no headaches when you walk out of there because they don't use any MSG, no cornstarch, no crap. They cook all the good stuff only in healthy, cholesterol-free canola oil. It's good for you. It's delicious, and it'll fill you like crazy. You will waddle out of there like the beast. Bring the whole family to the Emerald Coast real soon. Call them for reservations, 954-572-3822. 954-572-3822. And don't forget, every Friday through Sunday, Lobster Fest is back at the Emerald Coast Chinese Buffet. This is Neil Rogers. This is 560 QAM. I urge everyone to complain to this station. Goodness, that microphone was on. Oh, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> Good thing I didn't swear. <laughs> well, actually, Mr. President, you did. Uh, I, I did? What the heck did I say? Uh, did I say f***? <laughs> no, no, sir. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Uh, I didn't do a variation like uh, add the word mother to it, did I? <laughs> Thankfully, no. What, what did I say then? Well, I believe you said the word I did. No. Yes. <laughs> you got to be me. No, sir. I'm not. Uh, I didn't say the um, C word, did I? Good heavens. No, you did not. Really? I never said Condalesia. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, indeed, you did, Mr. Bush. <laughs> Good one. Oh, sit down and relax, Tony. Here, tell you what. Have one of these here biscuits. They're really good. <laughs> There's your leader. Uh oh. Stop, stop. I don't want to print out those gruesome pictures. I lied. I said I wasn't going to read any more stories about that stuff. Okay. Because well, I keep finding them, man. I keep finding them. You would. Steve Watson on InfoWars writes, advocating massacre and insight into the neocon, mon neocon mindset. Now, I, I sent this along to you, Josh. I don't know. Are the pictures on the bottom? I don't know. I haven't seen it. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean, are they going to show up? No. We, we can put them up separately if you'd like. When you th There's a link to original story. If you click on that, you'll go to that. Oh, I, I know that. So. Well, you don't want to see those because they're, they're very disturbing. You know, oh, in fact, thank you. The yeah. problem is they're very graphic, and people holding these little babies, et cetera. I, I, I can't read this because this chopped it off. I want to keep my head in the sand. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, I'll put that aside. Read it on our website and take a look at the pictures and see if you don't want to puke your guts out. Anyway, getting back, like I said, I'm getting off of that now. The Open Voting Foundation, a California-based nonprofit organization that works to promote the adoption of open-source technology to the nation's voting machines, has announced that it has found what it called the worst-ever security flaw found in Diebold RS uh, voting machines, man. They're bad machines, man. What is wrong with you people? The foundation claims to have discovered a switch inside the machine, which, when flipped, can have the machine operate in a completely different manner compared to the tested and certified version of it. Diebold has made the testing and certification process practically irrelevant 
said the foundation's president, Alan Desaire, in a statement obtained by Raw Story. It doesn't get much rawer than that. If you have access to these machines and you want to rig an election, anything is possible with the Diebold TS, and it could be done without leaving a trace. All you need is a screwdriver, and the voters get... Screwed? Right. Well, what else do you do with a screwdriver? Well, yeah, I don't want to drive it. They get screwed. Technical specifications of the report may be read in the statement, an excerpt from which follows. And it's got a whole bunch of technical stuff in it, you know. These findings underscore the need for open testing and certification. There is no way such a security vulnerability should be allowed. These systems should be recalled, is what the article says. Absolutely, Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct, sir. sir. I mean, who the hell knows whose votes are being counted or what kind of tallies they're coming up with? And again, you know, the Democrats sit back, but a bit like Al Gore, you know, in 2000, and John Kerry in 2004, but a beep, but a boop, but a bunch of wimps, man, a bunch of wimps. And here's Howard Dean running around the other day, pandering just herniatically about the Maliki is an anti-Semite and bada beep, bada boop, bada bop. Yeah. There you go. Just well, like that. The, the most important thing that I ever read in my life was that article about APAC by Ari Berman. Mm -hmm. Well, you're just making that up. And, of course, you find out just, just before that, the uh, Wikipedia bio on Wolf Blitzkrieg, huh. who was an APAC spokesman. I just mentioned that in passing. So if anybody believes that you're going to get any real news from CNN or any of the other American network, you're dreaming. It ain't going to happen. All you get is propaganda. That's all. Bullcrap. Speaking of bullcrap, getting back to Catherine Harris, the state Republican Party bluntly told Representative Catherine Harris that she could not win this fall Senate election and that the party camp would, would not support her campaign. A letter obtained Monday by the AP shows. Party Chairman Carol Jean Jordan made a last-ditch attempt in the confidential May 7th letter to force Harris out of the race for the nomination to challenge Democratic Senator the very wishy-washy Bill Nelson. But the next day, Harris turned in paperwork to get her name on the September 5th Republican primary ballot. Castro is dead. The letter came as Governor Jeb Bush was try trying to get State House Speaker Alan Bence into the race. Bence did not announce later that week, uh-uh, uh not going to do it. Harris, of course, rose to national prominence as Florida Secretary of State and Chief of Vote Fixer during the uh, bitter presidential election in 2000 that gave the White House to George W. She was elected to the U.S. House in 2002 as her reward for helping fix the votes. The Harris campaign returned no phone messages seeking comment on Monday. The letter was also signed by National Committee woman Sharon Day and National Committeeman Paul Semft. Catherine, though it causes us much, much anguish, we have determined that you, your campaign faces irreparable damage, the letter said. We feel that we have no other choice but to revoke our support. In other words, Chubdir and Dreard. The polls tell us that no matter how you run this race, you will not be successful in beating Bill Nelson, who would otherwise be a vulnerable incumbent if forced to face a stronger candidate. Since the letter was written, three political newcomers have entered the race against Harris. Leroy Collins, Jr., son of former Florida governor. Remember Leroy Collins? No. That's before, back in the face. He was a great governor. He was a uh, Democrat. What's he now? Dead. Peter Monroe, a developer who helped manage the uh, government savings and loan bailout, and lawyer William McBride. The state Republican Party confirmed the letter's comments on Monday. In a statement, Jordan said she was disappointed that a private letter had been made public, but added that our concerns about the race in Congresswoman Harris's campaign still exist. In the latest Quinnipiac uh, poll released Thursday, Harris had a comfortable lead in the GOP primary race, but is trailing Nelson by 37 percentage points in the general election race. The letter to Harris listed major obstacles, including coverage of campaign contributions she took from a defense contractor, Mitchell Wade, who later pleaded guilty to bribing the Duke, Duke Cunningham, and a partridge in a prison. She hasn't got any chance. That's why we're delighted that she's going to be running. Yes, we are. Anybody with an IQ larger than their uh, thing. Now, what, what, is, what does this say? What do you think of the Jim DeFeedy show on 940? 
Well, what, what does that mean? I, is this I don't a know. crazy person that sent us this? Maybe it's a rumor. Well, a rumor of what? Who cares? Who knows and who cares? Jim DeFeedy, my ass. And this article is older than uh, last year's Grape Nuts for crying out loud about Big 106 is going to be doing the uh, uh, Dolphin games on FM. Well, they just discovered it. Oh. It says, although Big 106 will pick up the radio call from announcers Joe Rose and Jimmy Syphilis, it gives little credit to its AM partner. If your FM dial breaks, you can still check out the Dolphins on 790 the ticket. Of course, if they're still doing sports by that time. If Joel Feinberg's daddy don't start getting PO'd, that Joel is losing all that money so they can get a one share. You know that they they didn't come close to cracking a two all day long in any day part? Yeah, I did notice that. Me, they they made me read that. their numbers. Huh? The powers that be made me read their numbers. They held a gun in my hand. No, I, I shouldn't say they didn't come close. They had a 1-9 between 5 and 7 in the morning. That's close. They had a 1-5 between 7 and 10, Little Dog Joe. They had a 1-1 in the midday, which everybody's bailing out of that. And they had a 1-3 between 2 and 4. That's that uh, dynamic duo, 1.3. And in the afternoon, Dan Lavancio did have a 1.9. So they came close. Couldn't crack a 2. How do you like that? In any day part. But they're making some big inroads. And uh, <laughs> What did I tell you a year and a half, two years ago? You can't talk your way into ratings, okay? Do you got them or you don't? Oh, come and on. you guys don't. You don't got them. You don't got crap. I don't think they have enough sports on. That's their problem. Yeah. If they would just, if we just had 15 more sports uh, talk stations, just imagine all the people who bring mm -hmm. the sports talk radio. Right. What did I tell you months ago? Sports talk radio is deader than a doornail, man. It's deader than um, what? Jeffrey Dahmer. Lebanese children? Deader than those little kids in Kana. Monday Night Football says, uh, <laughs> and this fax is signed, Fidel barely breathing. Fidel's dead. <laughs> Monday Night Football, get it on there, okay? Now, what's the story? I'm a little bit confused, Josh, you being the expert on this crap. Well, uh, Monday Night Football is on uh, NBC now, right? Or is it Sunday night? No, ESPN. Uh, CBS, I believe. No. No? CBS? Yeah, I think so. Why did I ask you? Anyway, no, because I saw the pr promo for it the other day. Al Michaels and uh, John Madden together again in stereo. And uh, Madden was elbowing Al out of the way because there was food there. But I... How old is Madden, by the way? Is he going to, like, 100 fall over on a broadcast? That would be great. Get a 90 share, easy. As Howard Beale said, get a 90 share, easy. Like uh, Bill Holden said, wipe that effing Disney right off the map. <laughs> remember that? I bet you you remember that scene because that was in the beginning of the movie and you saw that you weren't asleep yet. Right? <laughs> I do, yeah. Terrorist of the month. Suicide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a great scene. Don't do it, buddy. Don't do it. You're a young guy. you got your whole life ahead of you. Yeah, that's such a great movie, and you didn't like it. Yeah. Well, nothing's perfect, you know. Listen, I like the message. Yeah. Right. Like Godfather 3, for example. Crime is mad as hell, but I'm not going to take this anymore. No, Josh liked Godfather Yeah, 3, I didn't have a problem. And rightfully so. I mean, well, there, I, did. I mean, if you didn't have any problem with it, then you must have been uh, stoned <laughs> off your ass. Well, I, think, I think you compare it to the first two and don't no, do no, that. I, no, no, even by itself, forgetting that yeah. there were even one and two. Uh, just just the fact that there was so much bad acting and so much bad dialogue in there. And so many feeble uh -huh. attempts to uh, reprise lines from the other movies at times when it made no sense. The, the dialogue, the script for that movie was written probably in about ten minutes on the sure. back of a napkin somewhere. Yeah, but how about that donkey? Maybe they ought to fear you. <laughs> Remember that? Like, like it was like this was doing a comedy routine with. That's uh, exactly right. It's like they were making fun of the other two movies. Right, exactly. Maybe they should fear you. Yeah. Be afraid, Connie. No, Michael, it was an accident. Uh, yeah, like uh, Fredo's uh -huh. Fred death. It was an accident. And, then that and somebody got hurt. 17 to 1. Man, oh, man, this thing is flying along today. We haven't even gotten to our calls yet. <laughs> oh. 
When you're ready to make the move to a better night's sleep, do the smart thing like I've been doing for about 100 years. Call Dial-A-Mattress, 1-800-MATTRESS. Just that one easy call is all you got to do. Dial-A-Mattress has got clearance pricing on all existing inventory of Sealy Posturepedics while supplies last. Now, Sealy is changing their entire line of Posturepedic mattresses. You're going to save on all sizes and comfort levels. So call 1-800-MATTRESS right now for the absolute best selection. Absolutely. A Sealy Posturepedic is perfect for students heading off to college, too. And Dial-A-Mattress serves all major campuses along the East Coast. Dial-A-Mattress will deliver with an A2R window on the day that you pick out. That's one of the reasons that they continue to be ranked number one in overall customer satisfaction. You pick the time and they show up on time. They take away the crappy old mattress, set up the new one. You're going to love it. So make the call to make a night of tossing and turning into a night of peaceful slumber for years to come on a great Sealy Posturepedic mattress called Dial-A-Mattress, 1-800-MATTRESS. Be sure to mention Gary Sarner's name when you call. 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. Leave off the last as because it stands for Sarner. This is Neil Rogers. This is 562 AM. Approaching, flash dealers, open fire. We got bidders. We got bombers. Warning, warning. Contractors and marchers. We got profits. High gas prices. They're going up by six cents. Improvised explosive devices. And the world just does not get what it's all for. Of course, you know, this means war. There's trouble from roughnecks who fight with their fists. Caliber. Money, 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 money. Radical Islam. Are you crazy or something? Way more fun than Vietnam. We got Arabs. We got voters. You think people will vote for me? I guess. Both too angry to notice. Everyone else will be dead and poor. Your money in a mattress. We're all gonna die. I love this war. Praise Allah, baby. All the bubble mices all the time. 1,282 votes, or just a shy of 1,300, and it's not even 1 o'clock yet. We're going to have over 1,300 votes. Uh-oh, UN is caught in the middle. Look at that. Southern part of oh, the boy. country. What can you tell us about that? In Kiryat Shimona. Oh, he's in Beirut. Well, what it would seems the UN that be doing the are continuing uh, with phase one, if you like, assuming there are other phases of carbon. Don't drop that bomb now. we got that, that big cross on top of our building. Now, oops. Oops. We're sorry, though. We're very sorry. We express our sorrow, unlike the... And, and not only that, but when uh, these people are killed by Israeli bombs, they're lightly killed. So they're justly killed. And lightly killed. House and Senate Democratic leadership, as well as ranking minority members from the National Security Committees, have written to President Bush, the butcher of Washington, to call for the phased redeployment of U.S. forces by the end of this year. Far from implementing a comprehensive strategy for victory, as you promised months ago, Democrats write, your administration's strategy appears to be one of trying to avoid defeat. Iraqi political leaders must be informed, they go on to say, that American patience, blood, and treasure are not unlimited. And it's got a roster. You can read it on our website. It's got the whole letter. Signed by Harry Reid, Dick Durbin, Sten Hoyer, uh, oh, a whole bunch of people. Carl Levin, Ike Skelton, Red Skelton, Joe Biden this time, Tom Lantos with a big head of white hair, Jane Harmon, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and a bunch of Daniel Inouye with the one arm, and a bunch of other people. See, the problem with the Democrats is that they don't have anybody. There's no one voice. You know, there's no leadership. Mm-hmm. There's a vacuum, you know. 
And, of course, Hillary, she's, you know what she's busy doing every single time we see her? Yeah, she picked up where John Kerry left off. They're waffling all over the place. They're a fake party anyway. Yeah, that, that's correct. There is no real opposition party because right now they'd be screaming bloody murder. But then the APAC article should confirm you really well while they're terrified to tell it like it is about the butchery that's going on over there in the Middle East with uh, U.S.-made weapons and with the uh, assistance and encouragement and the planning of the uh, USA and the neocons. This is the reshaping of the Middle East they were all talking about. Working pretty well, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Working like a charm, like a lucky charm. They've got, uh, you know, land, and they're shaping it into craters. It's like that little dog, you know, with the uh, one eye and the two legs chopped off. Lucky is his mm -hmm. name. The Republicans are having a real problem with linguistics lately. First it was Tony Snow, and now it's Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's apologized for referring to the troubled Big Dig construction project as a tar baby during a fundraiser with Iowa Republicans saying he didn't know anyone would be offended by the term some consider a racial epithet. What is wrong with these people? I guess they never saw the Song of the South, huh? I thought everybody did. In a speech Saturday, Romney, a Republican considering running for president in 2008, oh, he's got a big chance. Not. Acknowledged he took a big political risk in taking control of the project after a fatal tunnel ceiling collapse, but said inaction would have been even worse. The best thing politically would be to stay as far away from that tar baby as I can, he told a crowd of about 100 supporters in Ames, Iowa. Black leaders were outraged at the use of this term, which uh, dates to the 19th century Uncle Remus stories, referring to a doll made of tar that traps Br'er Rabbit. It's come to be known as a way of describing a sticky mess and has been used as a derogatory term for a black person. Tar baby is a totally inappropriate phrase in the 21st century, said Larry Jones, a black Republican and civil rights activist. How do you like that? Mm -hmm. This is the new thing with him. He thinks he's presidential timber, Jones said, but he's all he's shown us is arrogance. Romney's spokesman, Eric Fernstrom, said the governor was describing a sticky situation. He was unaware that some people find the term objectionable and said he's sorry. if it, Everybody's sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I killed you, killed all those innocent children. I'm sorry I offended you. I'm sorry I opened up a stupid... White House spokesman Tony Snow sparked similar criticism in May when he used the term in response to a question about government surveillance. Well, I never thought I'd find the kind of ride that I'd be tooling around these two days. Now it's a classic set of wheels fixed up the way a brother would like it. I'm sorry. Now with the heat in China and the drip is cold and it dies under my seat, I got a can of liquid cherry, yo. Aw, baby. Coconut, coconut, cherry, cherry, and be baby blue. Aw, baby. Shiny little velvet little smelly machine took the suspension out, so I bounced down the road in a pit that is super flyway. Now if they hardly stop, no big deal, someday I'll get around and fix it for breaks. A 1979 mom Catalina, she's so looking fine, now it's my baby Cadillac. Aw, baby. Coconut, granada, cherry, chariot, beef, baby, beef, aw, baby. Shiny little, 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 smelly machine, yo. Drop my window down on a hot summer day Cause the AC don't work no way The 
is sweating, crushed by lost seeds, stops the smell, and gets the dusty working overtime. On my back, did you find the shiny crown? It smelled like lime, like my coffin, shiny too, because I've been washing it with armor roll. Oh, baby. Open the Granada Jerry Jerry and eat it. Stop, baby. Microscopic wheels going over speed bumps, they too smooth. Stop, baby. Brush my law interior, they fancy to me, baby. Stop, baby. I would say this. How come it's hard out there for a pimp isn't offensive to uh, black Americans, and yet Tar Baby still is? What's, wrong with, what's wrong with huh? pimp? Oh, I see. Pimp's a compliment these days, okay. in case you don't know. You pimping my show? You know it, Daddy-O. 1,292 votes. We're going to have 1,300 by the top of the hour. This is a shocking development. It ought to be on the front page of the New York Times, the Washington Post. Weekly Reader. It's hard out there for a pimp, especially if he's driving a yellow Seville. Naples woman who did it. Now, what have I been telling you, people? I don't want to like keep beating a dead horse, but I'm I'm beating it anyway. Dead or in a doornail. How's uh, Barbaro doing, by the way? And how's Ariel Sharon? Not good. He's up Soros. Heard he's hanging out with Castro. Castro's dead. <laughs> oh, man, you watch people behave like a bunch of automatons, man. Bunch of silly ass automatons. Just oh, it's my people. I'm see. Therefore, it's my people. Therefore, I'm all. This is all I care about. Right. Goes to show the power of brainwashing is just phenomenal. See, the, remember when it was, I think it was like in the 70s and into the 80s, and in the, I guess from the 60s to the early 80s, the programming kids from cults was a very big, I used to have guests on my show that. talking about such crap. They made some TV movies. The, the problem is that most of the world needs to be deprogrammed from the crap that they were brainwashed with from the time that they were old enough to like absorb any kind of information whatsoever uh, till the present moment in their lives. You're right. And this includes all this ethnocentric BS that's going on in the world right now, whether it's the Cubans with Castro or the Jews with Israel or the uh, whatever, the, uh, the uh, Muslims with the Allah and all the BS with the cartoons. And it's just madness. Yes. Ethnocentric bullcrap. That, that, that's what runs the world. That and, of course, big business. And that helps big business because whoever panders to that, they, you know, they get the big bucks. And like that movie said, war is big business. That's why we fight, because uh, we're in the business of war. We're in the business of killing, because that's where the big bucks are. By the way, how about those uh, record profits by Exxon? Oh, that's right. They didn't make the record. It was the second. Uh, sorry, they only made $10 billion That's right. In the second quarter. Don't exaggerate. We had an eight share, eight point, oh. and they made $10 billion. See the similarities there? Sure. Only this show doesn't cost you anything to listen. Enron, I mean Exxon, oh, excuse me, there was a Freudian slip. How's Kenny Lay doing? Is he still dead? Yeah. I've been telling you about these cruise ships every couple of days, man. There's another horror story, and you people won't listen to me. What have I been telling you for years? Most people have a very... Oh, and by the way, I should probably tell you this. Next year, and it doesn't start till the first of the year, so you and I are going to have to work something out in December so that maybe I'll work on Christmas Day and you work like on New Year's, something like that. Okay. Because I'm not taking that usual December week. Because my, my next calendar year, for some strange reason, as opposed to starting October 1, it starts... Uh, January 1 for the next two years. Right. And I have seven weeks vacation during each year. Wow, what a scam. Plus, that's on top of the summer deal. Yeah. yeah. So so just be planning to um, come up with a lot of good polls. Oh, yeah. Just be nice to Sean. Hey, Sean. Uh, Naples woman who disappeared from a cruise ship sailing along the coast of Italy is dead, but foul play was not suspected, her half-brother said. I wonder which half. Lower half. 
Details surrounding the death of Elizabeth K. Galliana, 22, haven't been revealed, but her family did not elaborate how they knew she was dead. Obviously, our entire family is devastated by the loss of Elizabeth. Her half-brother, Brian Evans, sent a statement. While we're waiting the completion of the investigation of the tragedy, from what we know at this time, we do not believe Elizabeth's death was a result of any foul play. Carol McCulloch, a spokeswoman for the FBI's Tampa office, said yesterday that Italian authorities found a body in the water near Ponza, an island off the Italian coast between Roma and Napoli. She said Italian authorities were trying to confirm if it was Galliana. She was in the water. She was floating. She was a lady in the water. Galliana was reported missing uh, from Royal Caribbean International's Voyager of the Seas last Tuesday. Michael Sheehan, a spokesman for the Miami-based cruise line, said Galliana likely fell off the ship. He referred questions on the search to the FBI and Italian authorities. Royal Caribbean is fully supporting the investigation, the cruise line said. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the Galliana family. Galliana was last seen July 25th while the ship was en route to Naples, Italy, from the port of Civitavecchia near Rome. Civit, I'm sorry, Civitavecchia. How can that be Civit? It's got to be a ch, 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 like the C-H. Civitavecchia. Stop it. Near Rome, according to a statement from Royal Caribbean. She was daughter of Frank Galliana, the owner of the Galliana Automotive Group, a dealership with locations in Fort Myers as well as Michigan and South Carolina. Now she's dead. She went on a cruise, and now she's dead. We hear that all the time. Somebody went on a cruise, they're either puking their guts out, or they're dead, or all of these horrible things. All of these things. But if that's the way you want to spend your valuable vacation time, you go right ahead. They might even give you a refund, or give you like 5% off on the next trip. They'll give you a coupon for Wendy's. Right, for 15 bucks. 1258 at QM, you know, sometimes the things in your carpets that you cannot see are really the worst for you, you know? And that's why you really ought to call our friends at Dry Concepts, because not only do they make your carpets look fantastic and just like brand new, they'll make them sanitary again because their exclusive dry cleaning method sucks out even the deepest dirt down there in dead you can't see with the naked eye. I've been using them for over 21 years. You ought to be doing the same. And it's true. When you dry clean your carpets with Dry Concepts, you really can clean today and entertain tonight. Your carpets stay cleaner longer. They're a longy with no sticky residue left behind. And with over 50,000 satisfied customers, you've got a lot of happy company all over South Florida. And don't forget, Dry Concepts are also the experts in water damage restoration. Keep that in mind during this long, painful hurricane season. Certified technicians get you out of the mold zone in just a matter of minutes, not days. And Dry Concepts can get your home or business dry within 24 to 72 hours. It's guaranteed. And speaking of guarantees, they give you a guaranteed written price up front before they start doing the job. No add-ons, no rip-offs, no bad surprises at the end. And to top it all off, Dry Concepts has got that state-of-the-art Oriental rug cleaning plant, the only one in all of South Florida on-site, dedicated to keeping your expensive area rugs looking brand new. So do yourself a humongous favor and call Dry Concepts today, toll-free in Dade Broward of the Palm Beaches, 1-800-248-5071. That's 1-800-248-5071 or on the web, dryconcepts.com. This is Neil Rogers. This is 560 QAM. Buttheads, it's the one to two hour. Bomb, 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 bomb their ass. 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 Rip it up with the crap, it's time to get a fax of bomb their ass. Bomb, 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 bomb their ass. Blow their ass away to retaliate and wipe that smile off the camel. Bomb, 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 bomb
Castro uh, having uh, surgery and temporarily hands his uh, power over to his brother Raul. We know he's got to be dead, right? Oh, yeah. Dead, tired. Dead, dead, dead. Someday he'll be dead. I'm telling you, he's dead, tired of all the BS. Karen Armstrong in The Guardian writes, this is a really good article. You might be interested. I doubt the audience will be, but you will. Okay. Bush's fondness for fundamentalism is courting disaster at home and abroad. She's author. What's her book called? Oh, The Battle for God, A History of Fundamentalism. Okay. And that's what it's all about, The Battle for God. My God is better than your God. My headgear is better than yours. I'm going to have seven virgins in heaven. No, I'm going to have 20. No, I'm going to have 100. Karen Armstrong in The Guardian writes, From the very beginning, the conflict between religion and modern science was couched in extreme, even apocalyptic rhetoric. Thomas H. Huxley, who popularized the origin of the species, insisted that people had to choose between faith and science. There could be no compromise. One or the other would have to succumb after a struggle of unknown duration. In response, conservative Christians launched a crusade against Darwinism. After the First World War, the Democratic politician William Jennings Bryan claimed that there was a direct link between evolutionary theory and German militarism. The notion that the, only the strong could or should survive had laid the foundation for the bloodiest war in history. The same science that manufactured poison gases to suffocate soldiers is preaching that man has a brutal ancestry. The struggle continues nowhere more so than among the Christian right in the U.S., who still regard the evolutionary hypothesis as surrounded by a murderous nimbus of evil. In 1925, they tried to ban the teaching of evolution in public schools and develop creation science based on a literal reading of the first chapter of Genesis. More recently, they have tried to introduce into the school curriculum the teaching of intelligent design, ID, which claims that the irreducible complexity of microorganisms could not have evolved naturally, but must be the result of a single creative act. The issue splits the nation down the middle. Fundamentalists want to win the battle for God. Liberals, liberals and secularists are fighting for truth and rationality. The same passions are likely to be aroused by President Bush's decision last week to veto the Stem Cell Research Enhancement Act, which would have loosened the restrictions on federal funding for stem cell research. This bill would support the taking of innocent human life in the hope of finding medical benefits for others, Bush said. It crosses a moral boundary that our decent society needs to respect. Can I just interrupt there one more time in the middle of my reading this article? Here is a maniac, a lunatic, a buffoon who's talking about the taking of innocent human life, of nebulous uh, human life, and all these innocent Lebanese people who are being slaughtered by American-made weapons. He couldn't give a crap about that. In fact, he couldn't get those damn bunker buster bombs over there to Israel fast enough last week. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. his opponents point out that while the president zealously champions the rights of the unborn, he is less concerned about the plight of existing American children. The U.S. infant mortality rate is only the 42nd best in the world. The average baby has a better chance of surviving in Havana or Beijing. Infant mortality rates are unacceptably high among those who can't afford adequate health care, especially in the African-American community. And finally, at the same time as Bush decided to veto the stem cell bill, Israeli bombs were taking the lives of hundreds of innocent Lebanese civilians, many of them children, with the tacit approval of the U.S. I thought I just said that. Is there a connection between a religiously motivated mistrust of science, glaring social injustice, and war in the Middle East? Bush and his administration espouse many of the ideals of the Christian right and rely on its support. American fundamentalists are convinced that the second coming of Christ is at hand. They've developed an end-time scenario of genocidal battles based on literal readings of Revelation that is absolutely central to their theology. 
Christ cannot return, however, unless in fulfillment of biblical prophecy the Jews are in possession of the Holy Land. Before the end, the faithful will be raptured or snatched up into the air in order to avoid the tribulation. Antichrist will massacre Jews who are not baptized, but Christ will defeat the mysterious enemy from the north and establish a millennium of peace. This grim fairy tale. Theory, I beg your pardon? You said grim. I thought you were going to say fairy tale. Fairy tale, developed in the late 19th century, was part of a reaction to the social gospel of the more liberal Christians who believed that human beings were naturally evolving toward perfection and could build a new Jerusalem here on earth by fighting social injustice. The fundamentalists, however, believed that God was so angry with the faithless world that he could save it only by initiating a devastating catastrophe. They would see the terrible battles of the First World War, which showed that science could be used to lethal effect in the new military technology as the beginning of the end. The fundamentalist rejection of science is deeply linked to their apocalyptic vision. Even the relatively sober ID theorists segue easily into rapture speak. Great shakings and darkness are descending on planet Earth, said the ID philosopher Paul Nelson, but they will be overshadowed by even more amazing displays of God's power and light. Ever the long-term strategist, YHVH, is rising up in a mighty arm of cutting-edge Jewish end-time warriors. They all condemn the attempt to reform social ills. When applied socially, evolutionary theory leads straight to all the woes of modern life, says the leading ID ideologue, Philip Johnson. Homosexuality, state-backed health care, divorce, single parenthood, socialism, and abortion. All of this, of course, is highly agreeable to the Bush administration, which is itself selectively leery of science. It has, for example, persistently ignored scientists' warnings about global warming. Why bother to implement the Kyoto Treaty if the world is about to end? Indeed, some fundamentalists see environmental damage as a positive development because it will hasten the apocalypse. This nihilistic religiosity is based on a perversion of the texts. The first chapter of Genesis was never intended as a literal account of the origins of life. It is a myth, a timeless story about the sanctity of the world and everything in it. Revelation was not a detailed program for the end time. It is written in an apocalyptic genre that has quite a different dynamic. When they described the Jews' return to their homeland, the Hebrew prophets were predicting the end of the Babylonian exile in the 6th century B.C., not the second coming of Christ. The prophets did preach a stern message of social justice, however, and like all the major world faiths, Christianity sees charity and loving kindness as the cardinal virtues. Fundamentalism nearly always distorts the tradition it is trying to defend. Whatever Bush's personal beliefs, the ideology of the Christian right is both familiar and congenial to him. The strange amalgam of ideas can perhaps throw light on the behavior of a president who would have said believes that God chose him to lead the world to rapture, who has little interest in social reform, and whose selective concern for life issues has now inspired him to veto important scientific research. It explains his unconditional and uncritical support for Israel, his willingness to use Jewish end-time warriors to fulfill a vision of his own, arguably against Israel's best interest, and to see Syria and Iran, who seem to be replacing Sodom as the enemy of the north, as entirely responsible for the unfolding tragedy. Fundamentalists do not want a humanly constructed peace. Indeed, many regard the U.N. as the abode of Antichrist. The willingness of the U.S. to turn a blind eye to the suffering of innocent people in Lebanon will certainly fuel the rage of extremists and lead to further acts of terror. We can only hope that it doesn't take us all the way to Armageddon. It Pretty good crap, huh? Yeah. Pretty heavy duty. All you religious uh, nuts out there, your mama, that's what I have to say to you. You're killing us, man. Literally and figuratively, yeah, you're killing us. Come out of the Dark Ages. Come out of the Stone Age. Oh, there's Susan Candiotti again in Miami. Edge of their seats, waiting to see what will They're happen. They're honking the horns. There's, there's a, a Cuban flag. I don't see any American flags. I see a Cuban flag. Well, they must be going to go back. I beg your pardon? That must be one of the people going to well, go back. But you know back. something? Okay, we're, we're going to do that right now. Anybody that we find, we're going to send out a search party. We're sending Miguel out there. He, he knows his Cubans. 
Anybody who's waving a Cuban flag, if Castro indeed dies or is already dead, and uh, we uh, blow all that crap out of there, communists are coming. You know, everybody with a Cuban flag has got to go back. Okay. Now, this now? weekend. This weekend, before the end of the summer. Maybe I can help. Start working on those uh, hotels, the casinos over That's there. That's right. Repaint. A little <laughs> Get some of my Hyman Ross old buddies in. That what do you say? Now, speaking of, oh, i got to do the break. Because I was going to do a really good segue about Kansas. You know, remember I told you that this morning? That's right. They're back at it again. Well, no, this is this is the other side now. Evolution's backers in Kansas mount a counterattack. Oh, good. Isn't that good news? And then, of course, we all go from Kansas right to Mel Gibson, which I think is a really good segue. <laughs> <don't you>? Right. <laughs> Religious notes. You're right. He's a crazy person, Mel sure. Gibson. I always hated him, even before I knew anything about his uh, traditional Catholicism or his anti-Semitism or his daddy uh, being the Holocaust. Even even before any of that, I couldn't stand him. There was just something about him that told me, ooh, you know, there was a message every time I saw him. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Absolutely. I mean... Uh, Absolutely. Five minutes after one, don't forget we got the uh, Bowmeister kind of no guilty today. <laughs> By the way, let me congratulate Geldy, who was on the majority of two to four during that last spring book. Let me congrat. Let me make sure I get the right number, okay? You are brutal. Congrat. What? Huh? Well, you didn't read the number? Yeah, I read it. We we. In fact, the hour by hour, the hourlies. Here, this is even better. You you uh, inspired me to do it. Did you read the hourly hour hour, hour uh, numbers? I read it. Nine to ten a.m. We inherit a two point eight share. We then go to an eight point one. We damn near turn that baby right around. Eight point one. Eight point eight. It's really great. 7-7. Seven, seven. We leave Geldy with a 7.5 share of men at uh, 2 o'clock. Then it goes to a 2-2. Two, two. Oh, my God. What kind of a guy wears a 2-2? Two, two? And then at 3 to 4 o'clock, a 1.6 share. Oh, my goodness. I know who would be pissed off at that. This is Neil Rogers. And this even includes all that big heat crap, man. Thanks, Ira. Thanks, Ira, for killing our sports segment. Rectum. Well, I was a Christian, soldier of God, believer all these years. All that time I followed every word of the scriptures, written by queers. You fairy. Catch me, say he's a powerful God, and then all the went in a mighty way. Except in 9-11 when he must have been gone on a bus and holiday. Take your card and shove it. Oh! I ain't gonna worship him no more. Just that you're all right. If you're with us, cause everybody else is wrong. And I'm getting tired of watching people die in the name of an invisible Lord. Take your God and shove it. Yes. I ain't worshiping him no more. Take your God and shove it. Oh. I ain't worshiping him no more. Neil God. 118 at 560 WQAM. It's uh, Tuesday, August 1st. Quite a day today. Lots more dead people in the Middle East. We got Castro may or may not be dead. All the rumors are all over town and running around in Little Havana and in Miami and in uh, uh, Hialeah and Sweetwater. 
Yeah. Waving them flags of a communist country. I mean, um, 1,336 votes on the poll. I can't believe it. I'm just, we're, we might have a shot of 1,400. Now, we didn't have an early start. I think I put this baby under about five yesterday afternoon. That's because your poll was so weak. I mean, that's because yeah. Eric, well, no, when he get, when I sent him the new poll, and he has it on there by the time, you know, five, six, when I come in here and take a peek at it, mm-hmm. I just I just change it. Right. Th- then I don't have to be bothered uh, later on. And then, of course, when I do come in later on, then I can send a hundred more uh, stories to Josh. That's right. He, he loves them, he said. No, he's uh, probably not too pleased. Too many lately. Way too many. Am I right? <laughs> I'm not saying a word. You better not say a damn thing. My I job, man. Oh, My look job. how many there were. Now, there were too many yesterday. And there's one that's only got like eight reads on it so far. And which one is that? Senate Democrats uh, write Bush and call. For, yeah, see, they don't care about that. Withdrawn from Iraq. We've only got almost 2,600 dead American soldiers and 100 Iraqis dying every day. Why would they care about that? Maybe they've given up on the Democrats. I know I pretty much have. Yeah. Shock and awe. They like that one, 218. I'll tell you who they really like, and that's um, uh, Maureen Dowd and Frank Rich, and rightfully so. You know what story they loved uh, yesterday? I give up. Will Durst, who, uh, you know, is a satirist, scientists suspect Bush has syphilis. They had, that, had, <laughs> that had a lot of reads. Good. That would sure explain a lot of things, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I don't think he's got that as a When are we ever going to get the uh, truth about uh, that abortion that he uh, funded? You know, like Chickie knocked up in Texas? Yeah. I think he, the abortion, the abortion. We need to get Larry Flynn on that again. Huh? They probably said, hey, Larry, how do you like it in that chair? You're going to like it even better in the box. They probably made Larry Flynn an offer. Speaking of Larry Flynn. <laughs> yeah. Kansas City, Kansas. Boy, I, I, you know, that's one state I've never been to, and I'm never going to be there. I will never go to Kansas. I'm trying to think. Have I ever driven through Kansas? No, I've never even driven through there. Never been near it. God and Charles Darwin are not on the primary ballot in Kansas today, but today. But once again, a contentious school's election has religion and science at odds in a state that has restaged a three-quarter century battle over the teaching of evolution. Oh, my God. Less than a year after a conservative Republican majority on the State Board of Education adopted rules for teaching science uh, containing one of the broadest challenges in the nation to Darwin's theory of evolution, moderate Republicans and Democrats are mounting a fierce counterattack. They want to retake power and switch the standards back to what they call conventional science. The Kansas election is being watched closely by both sides of the national debate over the teaching of evolution. I mean, the Scopes Monkey trial was what, 1928? Okay. Google it. Doing it now. Maybe it's in this story. It has the uh, Google it. And what, what the, was the name of the movie with uh, Spencer Tracy? I forgot. Um, I, I saw it, but I forgot. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, in the past several years, pitched battles have been waged between scientific 25. establishment... The Scopes Monkey Trial. 25, that's 75 and 60. 81 years ago. 81 years ago. And these trained monkeys, man, they're turning their clock back almost 100 years into the Stone Age. What did I tell you back when Bush stole the first election, man? These people want to take us back not 20 or 50 years. They want to take us back into the Stone Age. And you dark folks, by the way, if you think you're going to be able to vote anymore, you're dreaming. Too many of you guys voting Democrat. In the past several years, pitch, and women, forget about that. Only the Republican ones can vote. In the past several years, pitch battles have been waged between the scientific establishment and proponents of what is called intelligent design. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which holds that nature alone cannot explain life's origin and complexity. No, it's got to be some other bubble mice. Yeah. That's it. Last February, the, although if you didn't know Greg Reed, you'd really have your doubts about evolution. Last February, the Ohio Board of Education reversed its 2002 mandate requiring 10th grade biology classes to critically analyze evolution. The action followed a federal judge's ruling that teaching intelligent design in the public schools of Dover, Pennsylvania was unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. 
A defeat for the conservative majority in Kansas today could be further evidence of the fading fortunes of the so-called intelligent design movement, while a victory would preserve an important stronghold in Kansas. You better be all over that like stink on Greg tomorrow. I will be. Well, uh, maybe I'll send the story. Well, I don't know. It's, you know, what is it, an hour behind? Yeah, it's an hour behind. So I'll stay up real late, even though I have an important date early in the morning at Woodbine with a machine. But I'll stay up real late to make sure I get that story over to Josh. We've gotten the result of this election. Don't you think that's important? Don't you think our audience is going to be just glued to their seats, they, glued to that? They care a lot about Kansas. Yeah. The curriculum standards are done. Well, isn't that where, uh, well, that's where Judy Garland was. Isn't that where they, uh, in The Wizard of Oz? That is. Wasn't Dorothy going to Kansas? In the movie, the, but not the book, I understand. On the yellow brick road? They, well, in the book, they crying out loud, that book's probably banned in Kansas. It should be. The curriculum standards adopted by the Education Board do not specifically mention intelligent design, but advocates of the belief lobbied for the changes, and students are urged to seek more adequate explanations of natural phenomena, like the geeks who live in Kansas. How is this possible? that in the year 2006, there could be so many Stone Age morons running around. Though there is no reliable polling data, Joseph Astrup, head of the political science at Kansas State University, said, sharp ideological splits among Republicans and an unusual community of interest among moderate Republicans and some Democrats were helping challengers in the primary. Kansas Democrats, moreover, have a strong standard bearer in the incumbent governor, Kathleen Sebelius, who has distanced herself from the debate. And if a conservative candidate makes it through the primary, there's a Democratic challenger waiting in the general election, Professor Astrup said. Several moderate Republican candidates have vowed if they lose today to support the Democratic primary winners in November, with the campaign enlivened by a crowded field of 16 candidates for five seats, four held by conservatives who voted for the new science standards last year. A shift of two seats could overturn this current six-to-four majority. This is the school board we're talking about. The four-year terms are staggered so that only half the ten-member board is up for election each two years. The acrimony in the school board races is not limited to differences over the science curriculum, but also over other ideologically charged issues like sex education. Oh, can't have that. Then they'll start doing it. Charter schools and education financing. Power on the board has shifted almost every election since 98, with the current conservative majority taking hold in 2004. Can we just agree God invented Darwin as to weary Sue Gamble, a moderate member of the board whose seat is not up for re-election? God invented Darwin. The chairman of the board, Dr. Steve, Ab- Steve Abrams, a veterinarian and leader of the conservative majority, said few of the opposition candidates were really moderates. They're liberals, said Dr. Abrams, who's not up for There's that nasty evil word again. They're liberals. He said that the new science curriculum is in no way opening the door to intelligent design of creationism, that any claim to the contrary is an absolute falsehood. An absolute Absolutely. falsehood. We have explicitly stated that the standards must be based on scientific evidence, Dr. Abrams said, was observable, measurable, testable, repeatable, unfalsifiable, shovable. In science, he said, everything is supposedly tentative except the teaching of evolution is dogma. Harry McDonald, retired biology teacher and self-described moderate Republican, who's been going door-to-door for votes in his district near o- Olath, wherever that is, said the board might have kept overt religious references out of the standards, but methinks they doth protest too much, he said. They say science can't answer this, therefore God, Mr. McDonald said. Connie Morris, a conservative Republican running for re-election, said the board had merely authorized scientifically valid criticism of evolution. Ms. Morris, a retired teacher and author, said she didn't believe in evolution. It's a nice bedtime story, she said. Science doesn't back it up. Dr. Abrams said his views as someone who believes that God created the universe 6,500 years ago had nothing to do with the science standards adopted. Oh, my goodness. God created the universe 6,500 years ago, and all that carbon dating is the work of the devil, baby. Sure Make is. no mistake about it. See, the universe still has that fresh smell to it. See, that's you like can't, like a, new, like a new car smell. Can't that's you right. smell it? Mm-hmm. Oh, that, no, that's a stench of those burning babies in Lebanon. Oh, this is Neil Rogers.
This is 560 QA. Oh. It's on the top. Skin is blistering. It's the one time in history. If you go outside, you'll surely die. Flying in a global warming land. It's as hot as a volcano. I just threw. A baked potato. Let's cook an egg right on my leg. Frying in a global warming land. In the winter, you can build a slush man and pretend that he is outdoors. No one listened to him because he's not man. And now the earth is melting to the core. Temperature is going higher, and my hair caught on fire. One thirty-one. There is no global warming, and of course, there are no Israeli airstrikes because they were going to stop. They promised to stop for forty hours, uh, eight hours. Did they stop? No. Oh, well, they lied. They changed their mind. Psych. Yeah. We're going to stop for forty-eight hours, except when and where we feel like doing it. And so, Una Bama Grande may be coming to a uh, apartment building nearby you, while our ground troops are going out clearing the way. 18 years there didn't teach him any lessons, I guess. I, like I said, this Olmert guy is a crazy person. And speaking of crazy people, a blitz Mel Gibson. <laughs> well, you see, uh, you know, we're going to have a whole lot more Mel Gibsons because, you know, we have virulent anti-Semitism all over the world, and Israel's doing a fabulous job of creating lots more. Even the people who were basically fairly friendly to them, the lesbianese, mm -hmm. even the lesbianese Christians who were, like, very friendly to them, now they, uh, they're commenting, you see, on the news all weekend long. Yes, they're saying, and drear. Yes, I did. Just like George Bush is the greatest recruiter for Al-Qaeda, uh, 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 whatever his name is, he's the greatest recruiter for Hezbollah and Hamas. Olmert. Bert Olmstead. I think he used to play for the Leafs and the Canadians. A blitz Mel Gibson launched into an obscenity-laced tirade. When he, now, did you talk about this yesterday? I uh, made a comment or two. Passing reference? Yes. That he's a crazy person? Short show, yeah. Oh, that's right. You only had an hour. When's, when's the ball game on already? Oh, Christ, it's not till tonight. He was busted on suspicion of drunken driving this weekend, threatening an officer and making anti-Semitic and sexually abusive remarks, according to a police report. The Passion of the Christ director repeatedly said, My life is effed. We can only hope so. According to the report by the L.A. County Deputy James Mee, that's with two E's. I wonder if he's kin to Minnie Mee, you think? It's possible. Which was obtained by TMZ.com. The celebrity news website posted excerpts of the handwritten report. Gibson 50 was pulled over for speeding at 3.10 in the morning on the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, California, cops said. The Oscar-winning Braveheart star and director was driving 80 when he was snared by a radar trap in an area that the speed limit is 45 to 55. He was going 80. Gibson failed both alcohol, breath, and field sobriety test, deputy said. His blood alcohol level was .12. Legal limit in California is .08. According to the incident report obtained by TMZ.com, the road warrior embarked on a belligerent anti-Semitic outburst when he realized he'd been busted. Effing Jews, the Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world, Mies report quotes him as saying. Are you a Jew? Gibson asked the deputy, according to the report. What do you think about that? Yeah, like The actor also berated the deputy, threatening, you mother effer, I'm going to eff you. Well, hmm. according to Mies report, I didn't know he was into that. Apparently. The actor also told the cop he owns Malibu and would spend all of his money to get even with me, he said in his report. TMZ quoted law enforcement sources saying Gibson noticed a female sergeant on the scene and yelled at her, What do you think you're looking at, sugar boobs? It was a T word, we can't say that. Yeah. Sugar boobs. You yeah, didn't say boobs, you said T-I. Well, you know what you do with those, don't you? 
Put them on your, put milk on them? Yeah, just lick them. And have them for breakfast? Okay, good with cereal. Deputy Meade then wrote an eight-page report detailing of the incident, but higher-ups in the Sheriff's Department felt it was too inflammatory to release and would merely serve to incite Jewish hatred, TMZ said. Oh, not from Mel Gibson. Reach for comment on TMZ's report. Deputy Moore said the department would neither deny nor confirm its content. He could offer no explanation for why Meade's report was withheld from reporters. And, of course, Mel Gibson, uh, number one, he issued that apology, that tearful apology. He's yeah. sorry, and then he went into rehab. I got a copy of that if you want it. Of what? The apology. No. Okay. Earlier, when asked about the arrest, his assistant said in an email statement, at this time we don't have any information on this matter, but we're checking into it. A devout Catholic, see, now that, that's not correct. He's a, what, what are they called? Opus Dei. Yeah, but isn't there another name they use for it? Traditionalist. Crazy, uh, or a crazy-ass lunatic. Yeah. A crazy-ass lunatic, Catholic Gibson, has been dogged by allegations of anti-Semitism, which he has steadfastly denied since his 2004 film, The Passion of the Christ, about the crucifixion of Jesus, came out. Once known as the Hollywood bad boy, the Aussie raised Gibson was known to down five beers before breakfast at his partying peak. But Gibson has said he gave up drinking in the 80s at the urge of Tina Turner, his co-star in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdrome. What the hell would she know about <laughs> drunks? Gibson was previously busted for driving under the influence in 84. In that case, he ran a red light and struck another car in Toronto. While filming Mrs. Sawfell with Diane Keaton, he pleaded guilty, was fined 240 bucks. It doesn't say whether it was U.S. or Canadian, eh? After yesterday's bus, Gibson was, well, whatever day this uh, story came. After the weekend, bus Gibson was booked at the Lost Hill Sheriff's Station at 4.06 a.m. The father of seven spent a few hours in the lockup before being released on $5,000 bail at 9.45 in the morning. The Sheriff's Department has previously released mug shots of other stars arrested for drunken driving, including actress Kim Delaney in 2002, but Gibson's booking photo was not available. Hmm. Sheriff Lee Baca personally ordered Gibson's mug kept under wraps, the deputy told the Daily News. The California Highway Patrol, which has busted stars including Nick Nolte and former Growing Pains cutie Tracy Gold for DUI, routinely releases stars' mugshots, no matter how unflattering. But in this case, no. Well, he owns Malibu, you know. said there is uh, no excuse for making those kind of comments. But uh, here's another piece of that statement. I am in the process of understanding where those vicious words came from during that drunken display. And I'm asking the Jewish community whom I have personally offended to help me on my journey through recovery again. I'm hey, Mel, Casahoy's baby. Up yours. We already got rampant anti-Semitism all over the world before they started killing all the people in Lebanon, and now we got that on top of it as Israel's bringing grief and sorrows to other Jews all around the rest of the world who aren't in the baby-killing business, and now this lunatic starts opening a big stupid mouth. By the way, do you know that the Jews killed Jesus? Yeah, that's what the Bible said. And Castro's dead. 1,369. I don't know if we're going to make it or not to 1,400. That would be a real feather in our cap, though. What do you think? I mean, you know, that, that's not a number we would ever pick as a goal for the show. We you know, usually go for 1,000. Right. Well, and also, what do we got on MySpace? I think we got like 457, something like that, MySpace. Um, friends. Huh? We got friends, pals. We got that Corvette on there. I don't, I don't, I don't like that that much. Uh, 457 friends. That's not bad, I guess. I, like I, the, I, um, you like the Godfather theme better? I like that much better. All right. The vets, it just, I don't know, it's just not a good, not a good background period, forgetting about what it was on. I just, I don't like it. What was wrong with it before? No, then just Miguel felt antsy. and got an itchy ass. He felt what? Antsy. Well, I got news for her. I don't care how many Corvettes he puts on her, he ain't driving mine. Especially now. <laughs> with our wife and those two kids. Although he has a very attractive wife. Yes, he does. 1,371 votes on the poll. What would be the last thing you'd watch on TV? Oh, we need to make that 1,400 real bad. Oh, boy, would that be, would that be something? That would be great. 
Oh, Gibson apologized to everyone in the Jewish community. Well, let me tell you, I don't accept him. Uh, you bastard, you lunatic, you maniac, you crazy person. <laughs> Religious programs, 260. Now, wasn't that something? That was an afterthought. I told you that, put that on there mm -hmm. this morning. We didn't right. put that on there until like 8.30. 266. Thank God for our heathen crowd. You know, it, it takes it takes somebody with, uh, not necessarily some brains, but balls. Take somebody with balls to resist all the brainwashing and bullcrap that we're inundated with all the time. Amen, brother. Yeah. Under God. Uh-huh. Religious programs, 266. Fox News, 254, right on their ass. People playing cards like poker, like the World Series of Poker, 185. Um, what can you say? Doi, 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 doi. <laughs> Any so-called reality show, 150, 169. Infomercials, 157. Even with Ron Popeil and the Juicy Man. Golf, 100. Wrestling, 65. Soccer, 54. I hate this poll. Only 39, 2.8%. They likes it. Dr. Phil's got 20. Network News, ABC, CBS, or NBC with their very bizarre-looking Brian Williams, 19. Baseball, 18. Oprah, only uh, 16. I don't tell me that our people would, well, I guess, I don't know. They had better choices, right? That's true. Oprah, 16, and CNN, only. This is Neil Rogers. No. Oh. This is 560 QAM. Get away and feel the release. Smell the fresh sea air. Take in the unparalleled experience of Cuban rafting on Big Atlantic. It's like a vacation, away from your troubles, your life back home. You're the skipper on a journey to a better place. The only thing between you and your destination is whatever nature has planned for you that day. Unpredictable, breathtaking, life-threatening, Cuban rafting on Big Atlantic. Row your way to something better. Row faster. No faster. Here come the sharks. You gotta row much faster than that. Row, damn it. Paid for by the U.S. Navy. At 560 WQM. Boy, this thing has flown by today. Man, oh man, it, we're almost done. And it's been good. Been, no, no, it hasn't been good. It's been great, if I do say so myself. Okay. It's been a masterful show by the old master, man. 
1,394 votes. 1,395. Oh, my. And, uh, plus tax. It'll do it. Oh, we got the 1,400 licked easy. 1,396. They're pouring in by the ones now. We got 1,400 votes during the show today. You know, now we had a good head start. But even so. I'm going to change the poll at 210. <laughs> well, I, I keep trying to tell you how to do I that know. and get yourself, uh, you know. Look, I don't, it, I don't even know what I want the polls you to be. You don't care when you get to 1,000. If you didn't get 100, just uh, fake your way through it. That's the way to That's do it. That's it. Let's see. This is uh, Mel Gibson's father, Holocaust Exaggerated. This oh, yeah. is an older article, but, but this is worth uh, going back and revisiting. In fact, I even printed one out. I'm not going to read it. From um, uh, two years ago, March yeah. 11, 2004. From the, the nation, Katha Pollitt, the yeah. protocols of Mel Gibson. His whole family's assorted nuts. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like assorted nuts. Most people are probably aware of it right now. It says that Mel Gibson's father, Hutton Gibson, is an anti-Semite and a Holocaust denier. But just in case there were people who had questions or doubts, he has done us all a favor by giving an interview with a New York radio talk show host, Steve Feuerstein, in which he makes his position clear. Australia's The Age newspaper reports, in his interview on WSNR's radio Speak Your Peace, Hutton Gibson argued that many European Jews counted as death camp victims of the Nazi regime had in fact fled to countries like Australia and the U.S. It's all, maybe not all fiction, but most of it is, he said, adding that the gas chambers and crematoria at camps like Auschwitz would not have been capable of exterminating so many people. Do you know what it takes to get rid of a dead body? Cremated, cremated, he said. It takes a liter of petrol in 20 minutes. Now, six million of them, the Germans didn't have the gas to do it. That's why they lost the war. During his lengthy radio interview, Hutton Gibson, 85, said Jews were out to create one world religion and one world government and outlined a conspiracy theory involving Jewish bankers, the U.S. Federal Reserve, and the Vatican, among others. They don't come more Jewish than the Vatican. They're after one world religion and one world government, Hutton Gibson said in a radio interview. That'll air, uh, this is from the New York Post. That's why they've attacked the Catholic Church so strongly to ultimately take control over it by their doctrine. They claimed that there were 6.2 million in Poland before the war. They claimed that after the war there were 200,000. Therefore, he must have killed 6 million of them, he said. They simply got up and left. They were all over the Bronx and Brooklyn and Sydney, Australia and Los Angeles. He said the Germans didn't have enough gas to cremate 6 million people and that the concentration camps were just work camps. Oh, those must have been work corpses that they found after the war. Right. Gibson repeatedly smeared prominent Jews as money-grubbing power mongers. Greenspan tells us what to do. Someone should take him out and hang him, he said. He's even, he even belittled the Pope's reported endorsement of the Passion, recounting how Mel referred to the pontiff as an ass. <laughs> oh. yeah. Gibson reserved most of his vitriol for Judaism, asking, Is the Jew still actively anti-Christian? He is, for by being a Jew, he's anti-everybody else. In an interview of his own with Peggy Noonan, Mel Gibson is reported as having said, That my dad taught me my faith, and I believe what he taught me. The man never lied to me in his life. I wonder if Hutton Gibson has repeated the above statements to his son Mel, and therefore if Mel believes him. He certainly has never said publicly that his father is mistaken about the Holocaust and the Jews. I can understand a man not wanting to publicly state that his father is, well, a jerk, but these statements are rather extreme and do merit a response. And we're still waiting, Mel. We're still waiting for that response. The grape nuts don't fall far from the cereal box. Let me tell you that right mm -hmm. now. 1403, how do you like that? Excellent. And in case you missed this earlier, the ABC Television Network has pulled a miniseries about the Holocaust it was developing. Uh, oh, about the Holocaust! I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, I thought you knew. Oh, what what better expert to do a miniseries about the Holocaust? Somebody who, along with his father, denies that it ever happened. I understood he had a passion for it. A passion for dead Jews. <laughs> 
The ABC TV network has pulled a miniseries about the Holocaust it was developing with Mel Gibson's production company, the Wall Street Journal reports today, quoting an unidentified representative for the network. The actor who holds strong conservative Catholic religious and political views and whose father is a Holocaust denier apologized over the weekend. The incident has raised questions about the future of projects that Gibson and his Icon Productions company are working on, like the ABC television miniseries based on a memoir about a Dutch Jew during WW2. Boy, he's sure obsessed with Jews, isn't he? Apparently. An ABC representative told the paper without elaborating, it's been two years and the network still hasn't seen a script, so the project is being pulled. A spokesman for ABC, which is owned by Disney, couldn't be reached for comment. Disney's movie studio arm still plans to release Gibson's self-financed Mayan language movie Apocalypto December 8th, or is that Mannion? Hollywood's trade paper has reported the website Slate.com quoted Disney Studios president Oren Aviv as saying he accepted Gibson's apology. Well, the rest of us don't. Chubb and dreard. Okay? Speaking of religious, good religionists, I love this story from Friday. Did you talk about this priest? Which one? In Bridgeport, Connecticut? No. Well, he spent a few bucks that weren't his. Oh. A priest who resigned from a church in an affluent Connecticut community misspent up to $1.4 million in parishioner donations to lead a life of luxury with another man, according to a church-directed investigation. How do you like that? You fairy! Mm-hmm. The Reverend Michael Jude Fay, rhymes with gay, spent church money on limousines, stayed at top hotels... Uh, jewelry, Italian clothing, Florida condominium shared with the other man. Auditors hired by the diocese found. About half the money he spent was kept in a secret bank account, according to the report, which was mailed Friday to 1,700 parishioners of the Darien Church and obtained in advance by the A&P. That's Connecticut. Bridgeport Bishop William Laurie, who ordered the investigation by Deloitte uh, Financial Advisory Services, said he was shocked and angered by the findings. The report also was sent to federal authorities. The amount of money that was misused is tremendous, Laurie said. I think this report and other things we found shows a real betrayal of trust and abuse of power. Messages seeking comment were left Friday with Faye's attorney, James Wade. Faye rhymes with gay. 55 hasn't commented since he resigned in May from St. John Roman Catholic Church and amid accusations by a private investigator that he'd misspent church. Only $1.4 million, and he's got to support his boyfriend, right? Right. For Christ's sake. Oh, I'm sorry. Awfully expensive boyfriend. Right. That's in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So all you people that keep bringing your money and putting it in the plate to support mm-hmm. all this faggery, you just keep it going, baby. They love it. They, they love you it. like crazy, don't they? Yeah, they love your children, too. Right. Oh, yeah. A Especially lot. Especially when they, they come in handy. 1,407 votes on a poll. My goodness, this is, this is a shocking development. You know, it's almost enough to make me want to come back Thursday. Although we don't have a ball game on Thursday until, like, nighttime. I think I can handle it. Because then, then I'm off on vacation. <laughs> uh, what a but scam. You know, when huh? I said, what a scam. When you're working these, this tough schedule, boy, you've got to take a lot of vacations. Oh, no. And let me say it again, starting in January, I don't know if the powers that be remember this, but seven weeks next year, not just six, mm-hmm. plus the summer schedule, plus uh, you know, all major holidays, and the Jewish holidays, too, now. We have to show some solidarity. That's right. Not, not with Israel, but just with people that take off on Jewish holidays, even the Goyim. Oh, President Bush departs Bethesda Naval Hospital. I guess they just finished the, uh, his yearly checkup, the lobotomy, and they said they couldn't find anything. Brian Fogarty, do I have time for this? It's short. Okay. I'm, I guess I got, how long is that break? Not even two minutes, is it? Oh, plenty of time. In the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Brian Fogarty writes, he's a sociology professor at the College of St. Catharines in St. Paul, Minnesota, and author of War, Peace, and the Social Order. What we can learn from 20s Germany. 
Imagine the situation. Your country has had a military setback in a war that was supposed to be over after a few months of shock and awe. Because of that war, it's lost the goodwill and prestige of much of the international community. The national debt has grown to staggering size. Citizens complain bitterly about the government, especially the legislative branch, for being a bunch of do-nothings, working solely for themselves or for special interest groups. In fact, the political scene has pretty much lost its center. Moderates are attacked by all sides as the political discourse becomes a clamor of increasingly extreme positions. It seems there are election campaigns going on all the time, and they're increasingly vicious. The politicians just want to argue about moral issues, sexuality, decadent art, the crumbling family, and the like, while pragmatic matters of governance seem neglected. Sound familiar? That's society with Germany of the 20s, the ill-fated Weimar Republic, but it also describes more and more the political climate in America today. Germans were worried about the future of their country. They suffered from all sorts of terror as assassinations, coup attempts, and crime pulled their society apart. The left blamed the right, the right blamed the left, and the political center simply dried up. To get themselves out of the mess, Germans might have demanded government that carefully mended fences with its allies and enemies, one that judiciously hammered out compromises among various political parties and sought the middle path, but we know that didn't happen. And Germany of the 20s, as in now in the 21st century America, appeals to reason and prudence were no way to get votes in times of crisis. Much more effective were appeals to the anger and fear of the German people. A politician could attract more votes by criticizing the government than by praising it, and a vicious negative campaign was usually more effective than a clean one. And I don't have time to read this whole article because we got to do the break. Damn it. Well, it's on our website, though. Should I read the last paragraph? Okay. He said, we Americans have had our flights from democracy. The internment of Japanese Americans is WW2, the Red Scare, the McCarthy era, Watergate. But we've always pulled back from the brink and returned to normal. The time is coming for us to pull back from the brink again. This must happen before the government gets so strong that it can completely demonize opposition, gain complete control of the media, and develop dossiers on all its citizens. By then it'll be too late, and we'll have ourselves to blame. This is Neil Rogers. Absolutely. This is 560 QAM. As the sun shines On a hot and steamy Cuban day Some terrorists are there to stay down and get mow And Osama cries Because if there's one thing that makes him mad It's electrodes on his buddy's head Down and get mowed Abu Ghraib. But don't you know we're having fun? Ignoring the Geneva Convention. But when we sick the dogs on them, you should see their face. Rack them. Hey, Abdul, it's time to eat. Tonight we're serving pig's feet. If you'd rather off yourself, we sure could use those things. As a C5 land. With a payload full of Al-Qaeda dudes, you let's make them do pyramids in the new down and get more. Abu Ghraib and Osama cries. Bye bye bye.